Hey, everybody. Before we get started, let's uh, talk about our sponsor today, GeekFuel.com. GeekFuel is a great subscription box service that ships out a mystery box each month that has at least $50 worth of value for just $15 plus shipping and handling. But if you act right now, you could save $3 off any plan. That means you can get your Geek Fuel boxes for as little as $13.90 per month. You'll also get an additional gift in your first Geek Fuel box if you go to geekfuel.com slash wordballoon. This is a great end-of-the-year deal that you should definitely take advantage of. Go to geekfuel.com slash wordballoon. And now, on with the show. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Sutris here. I'm closing out the year with uh, a good friend and uh, one of the guys that I think is uh, the, one of the exceptional writers of 2016, and that's Tom King. Can't deny it when you think about some of uh, the things that Tom came out with. Hell, you can go back to 2015 with uh, Tom's run on Omega Men. But uh, for me, it's uh, the Sheriff of uh, Babylon. Of course, the Vision, the 12 issues of the Vision that really made a huge uh, impact on the comic biz. And his run on Batman. I mean, that's a thankless job to uh, follow Scott Snyder on Batman. And Tom has managed to do it uh, in the 13 issues we've read so far. And uh, he gives us a preview of what's coming up. I mean, uh, Batman created his own Suicide Squad. He had the threat of Gotham and is still dealing with the fallout of that with poor Gotham Girl. And uh, also a, a, a new wrinkle in the Batman-Catwoman relationship. Catwoman claiming to have killed over 200 people. Uh, that's why she was moved to Arkham. Did she? I don't know. It seems there's a deeper story there than uh, just that initial uh, announcement. Batman certainly thinks so. So uh, that's going to be something we look forward to in 2017 developing uh, with the issues to come. And, of course, Bane uh, is now addicted again to Venom and seeking vengeance from being disgraced by Batman and his Suicide Squad in the I Am Suicide storyline. We talk about all that and more with Tom. We reflect on uh, the first uh, season of uh, Sheriff of Babylon and also uh, the, uh, the Vision 12 issues. And, uh, you know, uh, Tom and I can't help it. We're, we're old-time uh, movie and uh, TV buffs, and we get into some conversations about that uh, dotted throughout uh, the discussion of the comics as well. But uh, that's why I enjoy having Tom King on, and I'm glad to welcome him back on today's Word Balloon. It's all brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you, League, for your support. Uh, 2016 has been another uh, big year for me in terms of uh, gathering uh, those of you who are willing to subscribe to Word Balloon. And I really do appreciate uh, the uh, the subscriptions because uh, it helps uh, keep the show going and keep me going to conventions and buying new equipment and trying to make Word Balloon as pleasant of an experience as possible with new guests, new content, and uh, the best sounding uh, quality I can give you. So if you have any interest in subscribing to Word Balloon and uh, can spare, you know, a dollar a month, the price of one comic book, anything like that, if you think uh, the content you hear on Word Balloon is... Uh, worth supporting, go to patreon.com slash wordballoon or go to the front page of wordballoon.com. You'll see the Patreon ad and that will take you directly to our Patreon page, meaning mine and the League. And uh, thank you very much for your support. I truly do appreciate it. So thank you, League of Word Balloon listeners. Without further ado, let us pick up our conversation with Tom King now on Word Balloon. Tom King, welcome back to Word Balloon. And um, man, for as rough of a year... As 2016 has been for so many people, and and so many terrible like deaths that we—I mean, literally—we're recording the day that Carrie Fisher passed away. 
Um, uh, thankfully, yeah, but you're 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 the yin to that yang. Where, where no, no, I have no, 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 no. I'm not saying at the sacrifice of these people, but it's nice that some people have had a good 2016, and you're certainly one of them. So congratulations. Yeah, I don't know. I had my bumps, so um, it's hard to be optimistic. Yeah, that's tough on a day that Carrie Fisher died. Man, that is that is just a blow. That is a blow to. It's a blow to two communities, which I know we both belong to, which is like the nerd community. To lose Leonard Nimoy and Carrie Fisher in one year is crazy. You're That's right. Just... I didn't even put it in that perspective, but you're 100% right. Go on. I mean, if you had to make it like a like top 10 people who are alive that mean more to nerds than anyone else, the, both of those people would be on it. So it's like at least 20% of the top. And I didn't even make it come up with 10 names, you know? It'd be like Shatner and Patrick Stewart and sure. um, Harrison Ford. And, oh, and then, and so it's a blow to on yeah, Hamill and it's it's a and then it's a blow on because we're old movie buffs and she's like she's part of that world too. I mean, she's like Hollywood royalty and Eddie Fisher, her her father, yeah, and of course Pat Debbie Reynolds, her mom. Absolutely. So it's like and 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 I'll even add another community of people who are a little mentally crazy, which I consider myself part of. And and she's just a fucking wonderful spokesman for those. I swear so much. I'm sorry. She's a wonderful. Sp- been for, for that community and i don't know this blow hit me really hard. it hit me really hard when well, she i think uh, you're right. yeah man no you're hitting all the bases and i think you're 100 percent right and by the way as i always let you know you can swear it's cool it's it's fine but no i think I, you're 100 percent. I, right. I love fucking swearing but i think it occurs to me that like sometimes i'm in the car i'm bored my kids are like streaming the vaccine i put a podcast on so then i feel bad for people who might do that with my I name i do on. understand and i do have listeners who are like hey you know i'm trying to listen with kids and i'm but you know coming from radio where you can't swear i'm always like you know let people talk the way they talk it's okay and i and i do understand with kids but i also like to point out as much as I love children, this isn't a show for kids. This is this is where everyone can kind of, I can relax, I can be me, I'll reveal as much as I want to about myself and what I do, and it might be a little too esoteric for kids. And I know, too, <laughs> they're, they're playing their games and stuff like that, and Dad just wants something to listen to so he doesn't have to hear the Johnny Jump Up song 25 times or whatever. So, you know. my, my oldest, uh, who's, oh my God, he just turned eight, which is insane, was literally weaned on John Suntress because it was my go-to. If I, you know, because I took care of my kid uh, full time. I was a Mister Mom when he was born, and uh, so I was. I gave him a bottle a lot when he was. My wife was at work, and if I, like if I needed to sit, it was just like just i iPhones had just come out, and if I was just like sitting down, and had to like sit there for like twenty minutes with a bottle warbling with my go-to podcast to just sit there, it was like the perfect relaxing kind of sitting there with my kid. So when my oldest has problems 30 years from now he's gonna tell a psychologist like i don't know i just hear this voice inside my head <laughs> he's always asking me what's coming out next what's coming out next i don't know i don't know <laughs> well i'm sorry if i haunt your your child's future dreams you uh, should be sorry i I, be. I i absolutely am what um tell me about the bad things that happened to you in 2016 or what you know in terms of uh or the the the, the nervous part of of the year um uh, I had before. I, I've never talked. I haven't talked about this yet, but what's so like? Well, uh, I was raised a bit by my grandmother because um, my father left when I was really young, and my mom uh, was uh, an entertainment attorney, so she was almost never home. So my grandmother sort of raised me, mm-hmm. and she died this year at ninety-two. Oh, and dude. it was just like a—it yeah. was a big blow like, sure. halfway through the year. 
and uh, and it was right before Batman One came out, and I just got just psychologically crushed by the whole thing. I ended up I had a panic attack, I ended up in the hospital doing that whole scenario, and um, so it was just a lot to come, just to come back from. And I mean, a lot of people have harder times than me, Lord knows, but I don't know why, but I just. The, the the in the middle of 2016, I just kind of melted down a little bit and had to put myself back together. Wow! Just a matter of all this, you know, it was just there was just there was a lot of stress. You know, I was finishing, I was writing so much. I was finishing Vision, Sheriff, and Omega Man while starting Batman, and uh, and I and I didn't miss one deadline. You know, everything came out on time, and I tried to put put that anxiety sort of back into the work. Um, but yeah, that was. I mean, that's just a small blow compared to the shit storm that uh, 2016 has become well but you know i know a lot of people are on edge right now so like what kind of coping did you coping skill did you apply to you know really like focus on the work and keep the demons yeah. down? focus on the work i mean i did some i mean some obvious stuff i got a dog that really helped that's very that seems silly but a dog helped what are you talking about that's <laughs> carrie fisher man which I, I again i think that's wonderful and and no i know the emotional lift that uh, you know, owning and caring for a dog can bring and stuff like that, definitely. Yeah, and I, and I got I got some help. You know, I went on pills for a while, and I got off the pills, and I saw professional. You know, I would normally never talk about this shit, but like Carrie Fisher died today, and, she, and I don't know, just because he's you have to talk about it, yeah. right? You're kind of betraying her. No, but I think, um, yeah, but that's great, man, and and truly, you're another you know successful guy that can say, hey, it doesn't have to immobilize you. You can you can continue to move forward and accomplish things, and again, certainly she did as well. Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, and sometimes you have to get help, and sometimes that's mental help. But, yes. Um, and I say this as I mean, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I, I say this as you know, I, I you know, I went to war twice, so I have that going for me. And, um, I don't know. I mean, there's. I, I, back to your question of how to get better through it, I think is the place to focus on. Um, comics help, man. Comics always help. Comic books are a goddamn uh, healing factor in my life since the time I was six years old. Um, just going back and, and getting lifted by comics and getting lifted by this community, um, both the creators and the fans. And like, literally, my best friends in the world right now are people I met through message boards reading comics, and they and they help me out. Um, and of course, it's it's lucky that I'm married to the nicest lady of the world, and I have three darling children. So all that stuff Attaboy. sort of lifted me back up. Um, and goddamn, the love people gave me for Vision, especially, and also for Sheriff and Omega Man, um, and and the, the love people pay with their wallets for Batman uh, that helped. Why? Uh, good. I'm glad to hear that because no lie. I mean, that's the great thing. I I want to talk about Batman one thing, but I want to hit Vision first and uh on very briefly on Batman. Way to go because, you know, following Scott's run, you know, um you're showing once again that there are more different things to say about Batman when a reader could go, you know, god, what is he going to bring that's new? Or 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 what you know what point of view? <laughs> well, tr- truly, man, because I can I can point to and I won't name names, but there have been some really good writers and artists who have worked on Batman in the last ten years that have written very fine Batman stories, but they weren't original enough or provocative enough, other than being 
this is great. I, I like seeing the triple summer, somersault. I've seen a lot of people do it, and this person is very adept at, at doing it well. But it's not something I haven't already seen. And I think <laughs> that your Batman run is, is showing that, and uh, the conversations, the inner monologues, are, are bringing a new dimension to Batman after a very successful run by Scott, and he continues it through All-Star Batman. But, you know, I mean, that's what I mean. There's, you know, you're, you're bringing something different, and, I th- and it's really good. So, so nice going on Batman. And we'll get into the, the, the specifics of Batman. But I, uh, Vision, Vision was great, man. I mean, Vision really, I, I think those, that, that's the best 12 issues of Vision, I think, that have ever been created. I think Sweet. You know, yeah, man. And I think the three, well, and, you know. Uh, Take that Steve Englehart somewhere here going down his little, <laughs> or, his uh, genius who, face. Yeah, who wrote, uh, was it Roy Thomas that wrote the uh, original story? I think it was Roy. Roy Thomas wrote the original. Jeff Johns had a run on a vision. Yes, he did. Um, a lot, uh, Sam Humphreys had a run on a vision. Hey, I read all the And things. there you go, man. I mean, uh, no, great writers and um, truly. Uh, Fred had a good vision, if you want his work. That's good, too. Who, Fred Van Nolte, did you yeah. say? Yeah, he had to do some vision work. There you go. But no, I mean, no, from the start, and I kept calling this for people who didn't know, I'm like, this is like a Ray Bradbury or Outer Limits starring the vision. That's what it felt like to me. And, I, and I've, so I've said this to you before in, in the two other, I think, of interviews where we've talked about vision. But great, satisfying ending. I mean, that's the thing, man. You, you had a night gym, gymnast, triple uh, somersault, landing on point, uh, finish to it as well. You're just like Eddie the Eagle, Tom. <laughs> that's me. I'm watching, Eddie the Eagle. I've been watching, I've been watching that on HBO this month. <laughs> just slightly bigger glasses. Just slightly. Exactly. You're, well, your chin doesn't jut out just as much as his does or I your try. underbite or whatever. There's surgery, but as possible is. Uh, that was very kind of you to say. I love, I love hearing this. Yeah, vision is um, the, the thing I did that is most uh, perfect. I don't know. I, people love it in a way I would never think anyone would love something I wrote. I mean, it's it's like on all the best lists and all that stuff, and uh, and I'm insanely proud of it. Um, uh, I'm, I mean, it was. I don't know. It it, it, it came through, and I mean, and, and the, the reason it, it, it's good. It, I mean. I'm proud of my work on it, but I, the team was just functioned beautifully um, from uh, Gabriel Walta, who drew the shit out of it and um, can make you cry with lines, which I don't know how he does that. And Jordi Belair colored it in this, in this amazing way. And Clayton Klaus um, uh, lettered it uh, brilliantly. The lettering in that book is really hard to do. The captures have to be in the exact right spot and he nailed it every time. And uh, and Will Moss is uh, the genius editor of Marvel Comics, who edits all their great. If you love a Marvel book, look at edited by and Will Moss. His name will be there, and um, he will one day rule comics. So suck up to that guy if you see it at a con. The uh, the family, I mean, really, you know, came alive uh, as they should. I mean, but really, uh, you know, you had you had us crying about robots, man, and I think that's that's pretty amazing and. The way the way it ended in particular as well with, uh, you know, Virginia's choices at the end. I mean, in case anyone hasn't read this and is probably reading all the great responses and, and you know, best of lists of 2016. And uh, the vision is certainly up there for everybody. But, um, I, yeah, I, I think that's great. And also a great launching uh, pad for Viv and her the next chapter in her new life now as part of the champions uh, with Wade. 
I know. I, I was looking at some sales. Not that I would ever look at sales figures because I only write for the art. But I was looking at some sales figures um, for a month ago, and I was like, oh, man, Batman got beat by some book. And I was like, what is this crappy book? Champions with Viv. I feel like that's a double victory. Yeah, I think you're right. Because it was it launched like huge. Uh, so I was super excited to see her. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mark the, Mark Wade is the, is insanely nice um, and crazy cool and knows every single story about every superhero and every person who's worked on the superheroes. I had dinner with him in Richmond and it was just like like comic book heaven. Um, uh, and Mark w- reached out to me before Vision had ended and asked permission. He's like, hey, I have this book coming out. Would you mind if I use this Viv? She sort of works perfectly, which is such a polite thing to do, like that you think would be the opposite. Um, and I said, yes, hell yes, of course. And I, I love his take on the character, and I love that she's sort of advancing forward into the Marvel Universe. I think she's – I think I've created like four or five characters since I started in comics, and she's definitely the most successful of them. So I hope she goes forth and conquers the world. I'm sure eventually they'll merge her with Gwen Stacy and she'll be Gwen Viv and then she'll take off. And, and Deadpool as well. She'll be Gwen Viv Pool. The Gwen Viv Pool number one. Gwen Viv. That's like, that's like Shemp Joe. Shemp Joe. That's, <laughs> the odd seventh stooge that nobody talks about. Oh, man. Gwen. By the way, I am writing a Gwen, a Gwen Viv Pool pitch as we speak. I'm no longer listening to I, I think you're gonna have. I think they'll take it, frankly. Dear Mister Alonzo, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, did Mark say what he liked about Viv and why he wanted to use her? Did you get in, into deep character talk at all, or was it just, "Hey, I want to use this"? And of course, you're like, "Well, it's Mark Wade, go." Uh, both things are true. Uh, he, yeah, he went. Mark, Mark was, is uh, Vision's like one of those books that everybody. That's the first thing anyone says to me if you're a professional. Is they think, oh, you wrote Vision. I'd be like, you know, I wrote Batman. It's the one that everyone reads. Like, no, Vision, let's talk about it. So he was a big fan of just Vision, the series. He did a, he did a, an Avengers issue, um, a, a very nice Avengers issue, where he used the, the sort of weird voice we use in Vision as a dedication. So he's he's been a huge supporter of that book, thankfully. And um, and he liked the idea that sort of he, that the, the team needed – um, someone who wasn't a superhero, but someone who could sort of be a traveling Google. And he wanted a sort of a dramatic stand-in for, I think, I don't know if this is the way he put it. Maybe he wouldn't put it this way, but um, in, in modern superhero comics, uh, a dramatic problem is, is that everyone has a computer in their pocket, right? right. <laughs> so like if Batman has to solve a mystery, you know, oh, I hear a song in an elevator. What song is it? You know, he just had to oh, take his phone and solve the problem. Um, but that's not very dramatic if Batman's constantly looking at a phone. So I think having a character who represents that and can be that link on a team helps create dramatic moments out of the internet, out of sort of things. I, I think, Interesting. I think okay. that, that, that'll help. Um, that, and also I think he likes that. I mean, the characters in his, I, I halfway through vision, Tom Brevoort, who's, um, this is behind the scenes shit, but I like this shit. So you get to hear, you know, I like this stuff. So go yeah. On. So Tom Brevoort's an old-time Marvel – I mean, he's you know a young and strapping man, but he's an old-time Marvel editor um, who's been around for 27 years or something as the Avengers editor. And I think it's – the best part about working on Vision is everyone ignores you, so you can kind of do your own thing. Sure. Um, 
because it sells well enough, they're not going to cancel it, but that doesn't sell well enough to have to worry about the numbers going down. And uh, and eventually he kind of looked over and said, what the hell are you doing to my Avenger with this book? And and he, and he called he called me and he, he's like, we need a conference call. I don't know what the hell's going on because you have every single line in your book is that Vision's going to kill the Marvel Universe in issue 12. I, do you need permission to do that? I was like, I need permission to kill the Marvel Universe. That's, did Fred Hembeck ask for permission? I exactly. So. Exactly. Um, You're killing me. And although I just read that Marvel book, well, that's a separate thing. We'll talk about it. All right. Um, that that was supposed to be Jim Shooter kills the Marvel Universe. That was the original title. That's hilarious. Uh, anyways, I didn't know that, and then it became Hembeck instead. Like Hembeck took over. Yeah, like he didn't want to offend the boss, kind of. So he put himself in. I love that. That's hilarious. Um, oh, so I, Fred, I see. Fred, Fred switched the title himself. Yes. So that there was going to be even more of a parody that Jim himself is killing the Marvel Universe. That's right, yeah. But it was too much. It might be perceived as kind of an insult to Jim, I get it. Yeah, according to that, uh, I think, Sean Howe Marvel book, which I love. I, I, I just read it yeah. for the second time. Um, and I, I wish someone would do a DC book like that. I know we have um, some good D- early DC books, but that, was like, that book is just all gossip for 75 years. And now that I know half of the people involved, it's just it's delightful. Well, and you know it was unauthorized too, the Sean Howe book. Yeah, that's and we got we got to get somebody because I know people who know where the bodies are buried, and I, I don't think it's hard to figure out who those people are. Uh, but I don't know how willing they are to divulge on the record. You know, I, I, well, I like happened. I like that it's unauthorized because when it get, it gets you know it, it sort of peters out around two thousand three or four when like he can't interview anybody because those people still work for the company and won't betray the company. Right. right. But it's good. Cause like, I don't want that gossip from those periods. Cause I know those people too well to learn the guy. Go- I like hearing like, Oh my God. Wow. Len Wein was amazing in 1972. We can't believe he got in that fight. Um, uh, anyways, that's, that's beside the topic. No, I bought, no, that's cool. I'm going to wander from topic to topic. Just that's, that's what, what we I, do. This is fine. I, I think people enjoy these conversations because you and I wander. I, I got no problem with that. Good, we can um, go on, on this. But thing. but so back to vision and everything. Yeah. So what what was the? What uh, was so 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 he called me on the phone. And he's he's you know and and uh, Will, my editor, got on the phone and he said, he said Tom, <laughs> um, and he got he went off on this big lecture like about what continuity means and what a shared universe <laughs> is. And, I'm, Go on. And, and it was, and like, you want to interrupt him? You want to, it's but, but Tom, but Tom, but Tom, and, and it, it, I think what he thought was, he's like, this is some asshole CIA agent who's never read a comic book in his life and thinks he can just come in and destroy the whole universe. Like, I, I was like, I, you know, I was on, I work for DC comics. They're much more crazy than you. Um, <laughs> And uh, you know, I was sort of listening to this to this lecture, um, and, and and a very kind lecture, and uh, and full of funny references to comic book people. Sure, <laughs> that's cool. And I love Tom. I love talking to Tom. Go on. Oh, he's the he told a, a I, I can't tell a story, but it was a great John Byrne joke that I still laugh at and pretend is mine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we are old men making John Byrne jokes. That's what. That's, what that's I all right. That's all right. Um, and uh, oh, I'm going to tangent again. If you do get that Marvel book, I just listened to it on tape. Just listen to it for how many times the guy pronounces the word Sinkevich wrong. It's the best. Oh, that's awesome. Who who narrates Sean's book? You know, it's, I don't know. I, I don't know a person. 
I no, it's not like an actor that I would have known. But hello, I'm Michael York. Here's the <laughs> untold history of Marvel Comics. It's Dan DeGeo. <laughs> all right, here's it. All right, now here's the thing. Bill Sinkwinitz. Sinkwinitz. How do I say it? Sinkwinitz. It's not even consistent. Every time it's different. I was like, this guy's punking me with this. <laughs> that is awesome. I should do an unauthorized uh, uh, reading of. Uh, Sean's book as Dan DiDio. I think that's good. All right. And then in uh, uh, 81, Tom DeFalco was really mad. And uh, this is what happened. It was great. I liked it. <laughs> Dan called me two days ago. And I swear to God, John, I thought it was you. I thought I, it, it was like that movie cliche when people call you and pretend it's not the person, you know. And, but it, like, actually right, happened to me. I was right. like, ah, you're fucking with me. All right. Listen. All right. Uh, 615. I just saw the script. I'm not happy. Eight fifteen? What? Nine fifteen? What? Where are we at? Even I don't even know the numbers. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I just got off the phone with Scott. He hung up the rings. He goes, "Tom, this is Dan DeDio." I was like, "Oh, John's fucking punking me because we're going to order." I was like, "No, it's not." As literally as I was like, "No, it's not." Like I'm four years old. <laughs> and that's, oh. I was like, "Oh my god, what if it is?" Quick, act professional. I was like, uh. "Yeah, Batman, Superman are cool." Yeah, nailed it. Um. Hilarious. Uh, so, so then, I you, to be then you 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 calmed uh, Brevoort down and said, obviously, you know. Yeah, so I, that, I was isn't like, that great though? That like he thought, hey, he's really going to try and kill the Avengers. It's like, what are you nuts? Of course not. <laughs> I mean, it's it's like Hail Hydra. What Cap is evil? Oh my god! Hey, let him tell his story. Relax. Everything's fine. <laughs> Um, I feel like I'm spoiling it that I don't actually kill the Avengers in the end. No, the Avengers actually do survive the whole thing. Um, yes, yeah, so then, I, then I, t- I told him, and then I was like, so at the end, what you're left with the status quo is you have Vision as a single father raising um, Viv, and I give you teenage Vision Viv as like sort of a departing gift. Um, and he's like, oh, okay. And that was the end of the conversation. <laughs> it was... I. You know, I told him, all, I was like, no, we're not, we're not doing that. Well, that's uh, the thing. This is a great legacy character that doesn't force the main, the, the, the senior character off, off the page. And a lot of people are able to accomplish that as well. But this is in a very different way where we literally have a child of the vision now as a new character and as a legacy character. Uh, without without immediately saying okay she's going to be on stage and that, honestly I don't know if um, any of the other adventure writers are using Vision in one of their books you know I don't know Mark using him in the regular books oh there you go been... you can't have the Avengers without Vision there's very oh except they had it for yeah you can <laughs> ten years he, he was yeah. killed it took me a while to realize that Finch killed you know I work with Finch on Batman it took me a while to realize that it was it was Finch who ripped him apart with She Hulk I was like that was you. That's right on uh, Disassemble. On Disassemble. I started teasing it. Because, you know, Finch drew, uh, um, uh, what's it called? Not like this. He's the artist on that. That's... And I was sitting there at dinner with him. I was like, how do I tease him about this in the best way possible? That's hilarious. <laughs> no, I, no, I love it. You know, and again, you're right. And that was 12 years ago or whatever. I want to say 2004. Um, and then, you know, you had uh, uh, Vision uh, rebooted. And wasn't he part of Young Avengers for a while or something? Uh, oh, it's so complicated. I mean, that's what's great about the vision is this history is so complicated. Um, post, he, post disassembled. Yeah, what happened? There. So he was killed. I don't know if I'm gonna get it all right. So forgive me, my friends. Um, he was killed, and it was highly implied that he was rebuilt for Young Avengers, but it turned out that guy was Kang. Oh, and that's then it, right. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Iron Lad was. 
Yeah. Or was there a Vision robot that appeared to be Vision 2.0, and that was Kang? Yeah, something like that. And then... Because um, Iron Lad, I remember, was the character in Young Avengers, as I remember, becoming Kang. But that's cool. Whatever. Yeah, something... And, uh, I'm sorry, I'm getting this wrong. And then, and then the two children turned out to be... Uh, Wanda and Vision's childrens were brought back to life, and they were in the Young Avengers. I actually never got to touch on that in Vision, which was is one that of my in, uh... No, it was. Um, I'm sorry, I don't have their names off the top of my head. The one that has white hair and the one that has dark hair. So it's the one that's it has one that has Quicksilver-like powers, and the one that has um, magic-like yeah, powers. Hex, hex powers like Wanda, yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. I loved uh, Agatha or Hagatha. I never say. I remember how to say it. Uh being a spirit in uh, yes everything in your vision story and and, and really the one eating, eating a cat's heart <laughs> <laughs> i kill more animals in my books than i think the average comic book it's like really my calling card of animal death you, poor thing do you think viv uh, regards wanda as kind of a surrogate aunt given uh, that her memory grams helped create her mother and everything yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, the, the great trick we pulled in Vision was we switched narrators halfway through without telling anyone. And it was Agatha for the first half and then Scarlet for the second half. And so the first half of the story is Agatha telling – I'm sorry, I'm spoiling this book. I like it. Oh, that's not, well, you know, I think by now it's out and everything. And, yeah, I, I, maybe I'm wrong to, like, hold stuff back. But, you know, I want to talk about no, it. No, no, no. Let's just, talk, let's just talk spoilers so we can get into the details. Sure, sure. Okay. Um. The one thing I feel bad is that, that I think a lot, or I think some people are waiting for a, like a complete hardcover with the series, and I have no idea if that's coming or not. Um, and I, if I, I can see myself waiting for that if I was a fan. So, if you are waiting for that, then you know, pause this and come back in twenty seconds. Or I just lied. Uh, uh, but let's get yeah, I want to get into it. Uh, yeah, so we we switch narrators after issue six, and so the first half is um, Agatha telling the the Avengers sort of what's going to happen. And the second half is Wanda talking to Viv and explaining what has happened. And we did it so quietly. I, I was so scared. Everyone would notice we switched the colors of the narrator captions from pink for Agatha to red for to Scarlet for Scarlet Witch. Uh, and nobody I noticed. noticed it, no, like, I, not at all until, was, until their conversation uh, after uh, Virginia sacrifices herself and, and, um, yeah, and the you know the way it ends and everything, and also the dog. Thank God, thank, thank God you saved the dog for Christ's sake, man. <laughs> I, I, I wrote in the script when I killed the dog. Um, I put it. I rarely put notes in my. I, a lot of writers put tons of notes to their artists in their scripts, and sort of like, hey man, you know, do that thing. I just write scripts as if I, I, I don't usually do that, but in this one I put a parenthesis, and I was like, don't worry, the dog comes back in the next issue. <laughs> I knew Gabriel would be upset. I knew Jordy would be even more upset. Well, and it was such uh, a vicious attack. I mean, Virginia was fantastic because, you know, like like I said, she starts with that kind of robot error, error, kill <laughs> at the beginning of the story when uh, when she when she does kill uh, the Grim Reaper and she kills her neighbor's kid and, you know, and the, the one kid that likes Viv and, and, you know, God, that was just all great and burying bodies and stuff and then... Yeah, so man, what a Virginia is such a such a great tragic character who really is trying to do the right thing and 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 you know sacrificing herself for her family. I mean, really, 
kind of fulfilling the role that, you know, God, I don't want anything bad to happen for my family. I will make the ultimate sacrifices. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, if, I don't really believe in saying books have themes because I think that's up to the reader, not to me. But I, I, that was definitely something I wanted to talk about was sort of the sacrifices people make for their families, the heroic sacrifices. And, yeah, and then Virginia turns out to be probably the lead character of the book by the end of it. Sort of her, it's sort of her story and her transition. Um, she's really the one, I mean, you see in the last panel that sort of, um, that vision hasn't really changed that much. I, I, I don't know what he's learned. I mean, it's up to the reader to sort of decide he's gone through something tragic, but Virginia does yeah. actually learn something. Yeah. That's, yeah. you know, you're right. And, and really the entire family displays more, displays more, uh, emotion than, than vision. <laughs> yeah. And Vision does. Yeah, he's always sort of reserved. He's always sort of making – I mean, his, his tragic mistake is I want to be normal. I want to be normal. And does he ever sort of get rid of – I mean, even at the very end, the very last scene, he's like he's trying to tell his daughter to be normal. And <laughs> I drop his scissors. No problem. Um, <laughs> uh, and I, I mean, I, I, mean I, I wrote these three – this sort of trilogy of books, Omega Men, Sheriff, and Vision – uh, I don't know what you want to call I only call them an untitled trilogy. That's my new thing called them. Um, but in, in all of them, the characters, they don't learn shit. I don't think I believe in people learning lessons from books or learning lessons from arcs. Because um, I just don't think that's the way... I don't know. It doesn't seem like the way reality goes. I don't know if epiphanies stick around. I think people are who they are. I uh, or, or, we, or we change in subtler ways than sort of... Instance, sort of that. So yeah, the immediate experience doesn't make us immediately different people, right away. Yeah, I hear you. That, that's exact. That's exactly it. And and um, so so vision carries some of that tragedy with him. God, I rewrote that last page um, of vision seven times. I had seven different endings for that book until I found one I liked and then passed it along. Where vision sings the story and recreates the robot. Um. And we and that, and that whole page got saved. This is really into the, the weeds of this book. But that whole page got saved at the very last second in the colors, with Jordy deciding to color it white, because um, Gabriel had drawn it. I'd put like generic robot, and Gabriel drew it as sort of um, as if he's rebuilding the sun and re- rebuilding Vin, and um, it was too it was too specific. We wanted it to be more generic. Generic, yeah, just this idea that he's rebuilding, and so then gave, and then Jordy did this thing with the colors, where he just drained the colors from it and it looked so great. And I just, it, it was when I first when I saw the colors for that, I was like, okay, the vision's done, it's delivered, it's it's a full package, um, and it works. I remember when I just, I remember I was like, I was like on the steps of the Capitol and I looked at like my phone, and I looked at that the panel, I'm like, okay, this this ending clicks, it'll 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 hit. Um, yeah, I, I I I like the vision. That's good. Yeah, There's that's a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, I like the vision too, and I think a lot of people did. And you know, cool. sorry, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm a brag here a little bit because I'm in a bragging mood. What's cool about the vision is we did something that we did something artsy and like, like you know, the New York Times reviewed the vision, um, and it's all in continuity. We didn't leave continuity at all. Yeah. Like we we like the things that happened to vision happened to vision. Um, all the crazy stuff and, and we talked about it and yet I get, it's, it's my one book that like it's penetrated that other audience, that mystical beyond comics audience, you know, like Seth Meyers read it and shit. Um, 
and but it's it's mired in continuity and 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 I'm so proud that like because I love continuity I love that strength of comics and that we can sort of show that um that even though it, it that even though we have this 75 year history we don't have to view that as a weight but as a weapon to use yes yes um and uh, I love I love that part of that that book I think that any, anyone can pick it up but it's still very Marvel you, I understand and I think the same can be said for your Batman run as well I mean that's the thing is you're you're not afraid to use continuity to tell new stories. And and that's great. And, and yeah, I mean, uh, the, you know, that's the thing. You, you can drop the mic, you know, f- with Marvel for now. And, and you know, there's that's a great 12 issues. And I think it, it obviously did make this huge dent beyond the, the comics world. And that's great. I didn't know I didn't know Seth was among the people. I've seen a lot of great uh, pop culture websites that, you know, kind of dabble in comics, but comics isn't their main focus. And uh, they've all, like, you know, on the best of lists and stuff like that, Vision is right there. And, well, it should be, man. I mean, again, yeah, you're right. You, you, It's not a Vertigo story. It's not a, it's not an Elseworlds in any way, or, you know, and those are DC uh, phrases, but a what if. Yeah, a what if. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, that's great. And it, and you're right. I mean, that's the thing. And I think you you leave the Vision changed, or at least that experience is now part of his other experiences. But like you said, Wade is writing, you know, Avengers, and Vision is there, and um, yeah, it'll 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 be interesting how an, another writer might come back to this and let this story resonate, or yourself, should you down the line find yourself working for the other side of the street and everything. Who knows? I don't think I don't think I'd ever do another Vision story. I don't. I think I did what I could with it. Okay. Unlike Sheriff or even Omega Man. Um, I, I just think Vision's just a it's 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 one package. I don't think it, it's it's a something that wouldn't benefit from issue thirteen for for me to do it. Sure, Someone else can do sure. it, not from okay. I just I I'm I'm like I just I'm, this is this sounds very bra- I'm sorry for my bragginess audience, but like sometimes you write something you're like I can't do better than that. And you just want to run away from it. So that's how I feel. Okay, I just, no, I get I just that. Absolutely. No, dude, hey man, take the lap, take the victory lap. I'm no, no, never well, take a victory. Well, but I, Trust but, well, I get enough shit on that Twitter to tell and the, me. And the, well, the job is never over. I mean that. I mean that is kind of the thing. But no, <laughs> you, 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 I mean, well, truly, because like, okay, that was good. So what's next? You know, I mean, that's that's really the especially uh, the DC and Marvel fan. Uh, you know, hey, there's always next month. You got to move on. I, I, you know, the Galactus. Fantastic Four story, the first story that you know Lee and Kirby did with Galactus, as epic as it was, they still had to like put seeds in for the next. You know, okay, so what are we doing now? Johnny's going <laughs> to like, college. Okay, this man, this monster, right? We'll just follow with the best single issue of all time. <laughs> no, that wasn't right after, was it? I think it was before. Was, I want to say he won. Wasn't this man this monster before Galactus? Could be wrong. I don't know why. There was internet out. There. I just remember that. Uh, yeah, exactly. You let everyone. Please feel free to correct us if I'm right. Oh, oh, and tell me who the Young Avengers I didn't know were. There you go. And, and yeah, Johnny. No, I just remember that it was literally in the same issue. All right. Wiccan. Wiccan's one of them. There, my brain's oh, catching Wiccan up. Oh, Wiccan is one of them. Okay. Um, Speedo. Well, and Hulkling, Hulkling was a uh, scroll, right? Hulkling was a scroll, yeah. I love that stuff, man, that Alan Heimer stuff. That sounds like the title of a book or something like Hulkling was a scroll. The sad true <laughs> stories of the Marvel Universe. <laughs> I will write that book. There you go. I miss writing for Marvel. I do. I love that world. My my son got like a Marvel trivia box. I saw that. I saw you post it on Twitter today. Yeah, tell me about that. 
We went, she, it's a, just a box full of stupid Marvel trivia, and my son brought it out and started banging with questions, and I was like, man, I am killing it. I was, I was <laughs> one after another after another. Does it get into, uh, like, Silver Age stuff, or is it all new uh, Marvel trivia? It's, no, it, 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 it jumps around. I mean, it's probably, like, five years, like, I, I think, you know, it's, it's probably, like, um, you know, five years old or something, so I think it's the new, new stuff, but. It gets around. Um, I miss the stupidest one. My kid was making fun of me. What, what, Captain America's shield. I, I was like, yeah, Adam and Tanya. I was like, oh, no, it's vibranium. He's like, too late. I was, I was like, I referenced that in Vision. There's an issue about the shield being made out of vibranium. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's one of my favorite covers, too, of Eleven, of uh, the, the dog-catching <laughs> Cap, dog Cap shield. shield. That's yeah. fantastic. Dude, Mike Del Mundo is a goddamn genius. Cover artists. Those, my I, God, I, for real, man. The entire twelve issues. Holy shit! Seriously, I mean that's the thing. The entire package, from as you said, from lettering, coloring, uh, art, and uh, and cover art, and you. Uh, no, it's. I mean that's the thing. It had a very distinct look, and I think uh, I, I really do think it set it apart on the shelf. Definitely, man. Yeah, I mean it makes it easy to write, and then there's a. I mean. Like, there were a few issues that were a week or two late where Marvel could let it run. I think that helps. DC, I mean, you can credit them or not credit them, but DC does not go late. Their books come out on time. doesn't matter if they have 62 inkers, your book is coming out. I mean, that's not true for every book. I mean, look at Dark Knight. But um, right. but it was nice in Marvel that they gave Gabriel at the end just a little more time to breathe and get the last issue out, which I really appreciated. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. No, I, and I would agree with that, definitely. Um God. Oh, and I was going to ask you when you were talking about the trivia. Here's one of my tangents. Um, you you, you remember up. Silver Str- or, uh, uh, Trivial Pursuit, right? Of course. I'm aware of the game. Did you ever have the Silver Screen Edition? No. Is it, I want to have it now. Well, you know, you, you might be able to still find it like on an eBay or like Amazon as a used thing or something like that. But they made them way back when the craze was really at its peak and they had so many different versions. There's a great uh, music trivia one that I think was called RPM. But the silver screen one, um, it really is hardcore, and it goes from the silent era to the modern age then, which was like 1981 or 1982. And I have another movie buff friend, and when we play Trivial Pursuit, that's like our nerd poker. Because what we, <laughs> like, we'll play, like we'll each put up five bucks a game or whatever, and just play like three or four games, and whoever wins at the end, they, they got the money. And uh, oh, dude, invite me to the game. I won't. I won't win, but I'll, I'll be able to oh, play. Oh, you got it, man. Oh uh, no, I, honestly, I, I, I really am. I'm thrilled when my uh, friends who are slightly younger and stuff are like, no, I want to play. And uh, yeah, I, no, that's a big deal, and uh, it, it's good because it's not easy. It's it's a hard game, and and I really appreciate like a good hard trivia game. I don't want it too easy. And in fact, I bought um, because you just got the uh, the boxes of questions. You didn't get the game board. So I bought a new version of Trivial Pursuit, and just out of curiosity, I went through the cards. They, first of all, they give a lot less cards in the current version of the game than they used to, and and secondly, <laughs> it's it, they they dumbed down the game, and it's like no man, make it hard, make it make it challenging. Let's let's make people think for a minute or whatever. You know, you want to play if you want to play, uh, you know. Uh, don't break the ice, or uh, I'm trying to think of the really simple board games. You know, Candyland. Exactly, uh, exactly. Go play Candyland. I love Candyland. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I would love to play that. So I've become like in my 
old Hollywood obsessed. My brain can't get enough of old Hollywood stuff. I just I just read um, the new Alfred Hitchcock biography. Oh, cool! And, um, Who wrote that? Uh, Ackroyd, Peter, Peter Ackroyd. Ackroyd. Sure, it's a, sure. Uh, it's a short biography, but it's like goes through every one of his films and sort oh, of you know what a crazy horrible person he was to make such beautiful art. Yeah, no kidding. Did you read, uh, did you read the John Wayne Scott Iman book? I did. I read the John Wayne Scott. I read that this year, and uh, that just blew me away in so, in so many positive ways. I, and I, and I've, ever since then, I, and I always thought I was kind of a John Wayne fan. Now I must see everything that was you know referenced in the book. I've, I was I was a huge. I'm a huge John Wayne. I mean, obviously his politics are horrible. Uh, <laughs> I would agree. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, um, who's, who's, this is not my own quote. This is from. I want to say George Will, um, but it's, it's, oh here, I, if you haven't read the um, the John Wayne book by here, it's on my shelf and pulling it. But Gary Willis, sorry, Gary Wills. Go on. Um, he said, uh, is, is like, here's a guy who avoided service in World War II, who then condemned people for avoiding the draft in oh, Vietnam. And he's like, that's just an unforgivable sin. Like, you can't come back from that. I, know, I agree <laughs> yeah. with you. It's weird. Although, it really, although it seems, and I don't know if Wills did this, but. Iman did point out those rare exceptions of liberals of, well, I disagree with you, but I respect you, uh, you know, that that came across Wayne's world. Did you see Trumbo? I'm sure you saw Trumbo. I did see Trumbo, yeah. I thought their depiction of John Wayne was very good. And the, yeah, I thought so the guy too. didn't look like John Wayne, but he really did, like, kind of evoke the spirit of Wayne. Um, yeah, I, I agree, yeah. And, uh, yeah, oh, you know what I just found on Amazon, speaking of John Wayne? There's um, an old, and it looks like an old ABC TV special they did on John Ford, really just like probably a year or so before he passed away. And uh, it was narrated by Fonda, Jimmy Stewart, and Wayne. And Wayne is really the main narrator. And there's a lot of great little tidbits of the movies they made together and their relationship. And they're very like, you know, Fonda was like a complete master, you know, like master sergeant to, you know, Wayne's private and really never treated yeah. Wayne like a big star. It's like, screw you, man. I knew you went. Um, <laughs> but that's that's fine, and it's kind of interesting. And also, God, just Wayne's own, uh, his marriages and how, how, you know, horrible they all were. And, you know, the guy just never got a, caught a break, I think, in his personal life in some ways. Um, he's an interesting but man. He's a complicated man. He, he is. He's a complicated man. And like you said, there are there are redeemable features. I mean, like he had a sense of humor about it. He went to the Harvard Club when Absolutely. he was famously like old, and and they and they roasted him, and he just admitted to being an old cranky conservative. Yeah, for people who don't and, know what talking about, it would be although his politics are oddly different and, and in some ways very unknown. But it would be as if uh, a, a, a jerky you know university like the Harvard or like Harvard and the Lampoon uh, were to invite Donald Trump, and Donald Trump would very graciously accept and say. By all means, make fun of me. Okay. I got no problem with that. Go ahead. Yeah. And yeah. Trump so, is not that kind of guy. But where's John Wayne? Absolutely. He's like, sure. Let's talk. And John, and John, I mean, and John Wayne was like, you know, he was an avid chess player. He directed parts of his movies. He wrote parts of his – I mean, he was not the, the dumb jock. Exactly. The figure yes. that I think is – to remember. And, and, and just the guy had screen presence, an unbelievable screen. And is a hope to all of us. Um, people in their late 30s as I am, because his career didn't really start till he was 40. Him and Stan Lee are the hope for all of us. You're right about that. No, you're right. (laughs) That great fame can start that. He made a movie in 1930 called The Big Trail, 
at when he was absolutely yeah. young and beautiful and at his Brad Pitt best, and it bombed, and it forced him to make B-movies for the first 10 years of his career, and then finally Stagecoach is really what uh, you know started everything. But it really wasn't, a, you're right, the sweet spot really was the 40s, uh, you know, probably late 40s or whatever, where he really started to become John Wayne. You know, it's not Sancho Iwo Jima, I suppose, and some of those other war films and everything, but uh, the complex John Wayne and everything, the searchers and the stuff from the 50s. I mean, he... And then, and really, I, I have a new appreciation even for those uh, last 70s movies, too, like uh, Big Jake and Cahill U.S. Marshall, and I like Chisholm. Chisholm is one of my favorite John Wayne movies. Uh, yeah, Chisholm. You know, Fine Force. Tuck Chisholm's got a... Has a weird politics to it. That's like a very conservative movie. I'm gonna have to watch it again. I, 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 maybe I'm because yeah, maybe I'm missing the Comancheros from the early '60s with Stuart Whitman. Big fan of that one. Yeah, I like the shooters. I love the shooters. Um, I love the shooters. Yeah, that's a fantastic. Brannigan movie. and McHugh are a little you know weird, but I still watch them and I still find, I think they're funny. His cop. I, you know what I don't what I don't like is True Grit. I don't I, the one he won the Academy Award for. I don't like his Rooster Cockburn. Really? I think. Yeah, I think it's just too because it's the one time he's like trying to act, you know. Um, he's trying to play a character, and I just think it comes off a little too much. Well, that's funny. It's like he's trying too hard. See, I kind of this is this is this is why people turned in, right? For the cop for me and you to well, to talk yeah, much like we, when we went off on Ben Crosby for for an hour. Why not? I got no problem with that. <laughs> right? um, but you know, I, I can I can bring this back to comics. <laughs> Watch this. This is amazing. So, um, you know, uh, I don't know if people watch, read the Batman, but uh, the final arc of Batman, I Am Bane, start, is, is, is a real Bravo tribute, really, where we're doing... Um, the arc that's coming up now? The arc that's coming up. We just finished I Am Suicide. So the right, first arc right. was I Am God. Right on. We just finished I Am Suicide. And then we're going to have these two issues, which come out, um, 13 and 14, come out in the next two or three weeks. Uh and they're romance issues. It's 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 Cat Catwoman Batman uh, romance comics, sure. and uh, and then we start the new arc, which is I am Bane, uh, and I'll, I'll talk more about the Catwoman stuff to pitch it. But and that and that that's a real Bravo story. We've been sort of setting this up. Um, that's hilarious. With, with uh, Bronze Tiger as Dean Martin, and <laughs> and <laughs> who's Ricky Nelson as uh, Punch. Ricky Nelson and Duke is Ricky Nelson. Oh, Duke, of course, and, is Ricky Nelson. Okay. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't quite do. I wanted to do the whole thing as a one-to-one ratio, but we kind of got off tracks. But it starts with a silent sequence. Um, that so it, it, this is very. But if you get to Batman, uh, um, 13, 15, you'll see the real Bravo. Uh, so let's see sequence. It starts with a silent sequence, which has to do with you know, deep with with. Um, it, it, a real Bravo starts with Dean Martin making a bad decision and starts with the famous scene, eight minute silence sequence. And then John Wayne. Yeah, it's amazing. And so we started with bronze tiger making a bad decision and it's a silent sequence with Batman rescuing him. That's hilarious. Wow. Uh, but I mean, look, real Bravo is the perfect, is the perfect Batman movie. Cause it's about, um, it's about, I mean, it's a very simple story, which I like, I like superhero stories to be very simple, uh, where he's, he's got, he's got a prisoner. He's, and, and there's somebody coming to, to, to get the prisoner and he has to keep that guy for five. He has to keep that guy for five days and he doesn't want anybody to help him. He, he, cause he knows the guys are going to come to kill him and he's the only one and he, he wants to kill it, but all his friends keep trying to help him. So it's such a Batman story, but that's every Batman story, right? It's like, I can do this by myself. No, we need, you need help. Um, it's famously a reverse of high noon cause of all the communists, but anyways, you can get into that stuff. But, uh, <laughs> you're right about that. 
Um, but yeah, so so the John Wayne stuff does play back in. That's very interesting. I like that. Who's Walter Brennan in the Batman story? The ventriloquist? Dude, Alfred, right? It's got to be Alfred. Uh, of course, uh, that's hilarious. <laughs> well, I don't know if no, you can I, do this, Master Bruce, but I suppose you can. We do. I, <laughs> I literally have him, you know, because... Because, uh, sorry, people should go out and see that movie. But Real like, Bravo's amazing. It really is a great yeah. drama. And as Tom said, it is, it's It's very simple. The story is very simple. It's a whole lot of character. The The first eight minutes will suck you in. And that, that's your, all right, I'm in. Or, okay, that's enough. But at least see the first eight minutes and it will really make you appreciate uh, Howard Hawks as a filmmaker and storyteller. Yeah, Howard, Howard Hawks is... is... Uh, my favorite movie maker, I think, of all time. One of mine. Maybe. I, 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 no, actually, no. George, we talk about George Stevens, my favorite. And I like George Stevens too. Well, that's the thing. I can't. I, I could never even only come up with one. All right, here's one more Hollywood tangent. Five came back. The I just read that. Just I'm read very, that with George. I'm very happy you did that, man, because it came out last year or two years ago, and I I absolutely loved it. And it makes me, for people who don't know, Five Came Back is about the Hollywood directors who went to World War II to work for the government and make propaganda films to boost morale for the American public about the boys fighting and dying, unfortunately, and there are some incredible things. And it was John Huston, George Stevens, William Wyler, John Ford, and who's my fifth? Was It, it wasn't hard. Oh, Frank Capra, of course. And my point Frank is Capra. that Frank Capra, um, as much as I love and still love Frank Capra, Reading that made me rewatch some of those Frank Capra movies, and I kind of agree that uh, maybe I was giving Frank Capra a little too much credit as 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 a filmmaker because I think his '30s movies are very strong. I always felt the same way about his '40s movies, but now I think about it, and really, yeah, I don't know. He kind of, I don't think he evolved the way the other guys did. I see. I'm, I'm gonna disagree with that in the in the one movie, It's a Wonderful Life, which I just rewatched. I love that movie, of course, Christmas. the Christmas classic. Uh, because, uh, yeah, I mean, I really, that, that book really affected me because, you know, I once, again, I, I was in the CIA, so it's not the same, but, you know, I, I went off and did the war thing and then tried to make art out of it. So I was trying, the, that book was really inspiring to me on some levels. And, um, and I, and I watching It's a Wonderful Life from that point of view of, of this is the first movie he made when he came back from the war it was the only movie he actually wrote himself. And you can see it in it. You can see this this struggle of a guy who like went to war thinking he wanted to save the world and then got stuck in Washington DC making propaganda films that never really mounted to anything. And that story is so much about, and, and you can, it's, it's either nepot, it's either him minding his own pain or it's the ultimate nepotism or the ultimate nepotism, but um, uh, whatever it is looking, looking at yourself in the mirror too much um, where, where he's, he's making a movie about a guy who is, who, is underappreciated who, who tried to who was always trying to do something bigger and, ne- and didn't and never achieved it you know yeah i think it's, it's very much like him recognizing his own it's either him recognizing his own tragedy or him um uh, puffing up his own ego and it's a, com- it's a combination of those things i think it makes it a very fascinating film in that term. well i i agree with it's a wonderful life but i really am like and i guess i'm talking more about things like uh, hole in the head and uh Oh God! Uh, well, Pocket Full of Miracles is really a remake of his '30s movie, Lady for a Day, which I do think is an amazing movie. Uh, yeah, no, but if you if you go back and watch um, the fascist one, um, not Mister Deeds, but it's one of the Mister movies. Okay, because yeah, Mister Deeds, uh, the, the one with Barbara, the one with Barbara Stanwyck, 
And you're just oh, like, meet John oh, Doe. This is... meet John Doe. Meet John I Doe. Love... Oh, yeah. Again, that's a thirties movie. And I think that, that his thirties movies were great. I think. Uh, see, I, I, I like, I like, I think it's a wonderful life is just somewhere beyond all those films. Even Mr. Smith goes to Washington gets on my nerves for its weird politics a little bit. I get it. Well, and again, <laughs> I, I can appreciate that, but yeah, I, I, again, I, I just think of that post, I don't know if state of the union where Spencer Tracy's running for president and, the, and there's stuff on that that I like where he's married to Catherine Hepburn and he's kind of having an affair with Audrey, uh, Angela Lansbury is, this shows you how old this movie is. Angela Lansbury is the young hot woman that Spencer Tracy is cheating on with, uh, for, instead of Catherine Hepburn. So God, Angela Lansbury is still around. Isn't that crazy? Man, I'm telling you. Well, and I will swing this back to Colin. Olivia de Havilland's still around. Yes, she so is. there's still some left. Debbie Reynolds. Poor Debbie Reynolds. I mean, yeah, I was about to say, I don't want to evoke any old person's name because we still got enough days left of 2016 that someone else That's is going to fall. I couldn't, I mean, George, the, the double whammy of George what, Michael and Carrie Fisher still just, oh, what a numbing weekend. My God. Um, what was I going to say? The uh, No, and I, I was going to swing this back to comics. Uh, because you revealed to me that uh, one of your main jobs in the CIA was uh, recruiting terrorists and stuff. And obviously, I'm assuming that might have played a role in I Am Suicide and, and, and gathering this team. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my CIA stuff plays a role in everything. Right? I'm not allowed to write about it directly. I mean, obviously, I wrote this book called Sheriff of Babylon, which is like a war novel yeah, set when absolutely. I, back in Iraq. And that actually had to be approved by the CIA, so I could... It's odd because because it had to be approved, I could talk more about stuff because I knew if I hit a line, they'd tell me to go back so I could get a little closer to the line. Okay. Not that I ever would. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, I've, I have definitely um, talked to horrible people and asked them to leave jail and do favors for me. So I guess I have that unique experience that when Batman's doing that in Arkham, that's something I can relive myself, but I don't know. You have to, you you have to add the comic book magic to it or else it doesn't work. I hear you, man. And am I right? And, and forgive me for asking probably an obvious question, but I like the way you've kind of tweaked bronze tiger. Uh, and I guess maybe it was something that was, wasn't obvious to me back in the eighties when I used to write, uh, read John Ostrander's version and stuff. I always thought, Bronze Tiger, kind of like in the way Katana in the movie, isn't really one of the criminals, but is working with the Suicide Squad. I always thought Bronze Tiger, even though he was trained by the League of Assassins, had, you know, redeemed himself as a superhero, but was still working with the bad guys and kind of like a lieutenant to Rick Flagg to kind of keep everybody in check. But then uh, I like the way you kind of have it where the cover story is, no, he's just as bad as everybody else. <laughs> and he's sitting yeah. kind of, and I love that exchange with him in Batman, where it's like it's about time you got here, you know. <laughs> well, uh, we had used him. I love the Bronze Tiger, so I use him whenever I can. Um, I'm a huge fan of that Outstrander run. I have a, uh, a a page of Suicide Squad up my wall with Bronze Tiger. And, wow. Um, and uh, so I would used him very briefly at the end of Grayson, where we had made him a super spy. Um, just cause we needed some super spies and I was like, I want to use bronze tiger. And that seems like something he would do. And so, and I wanted to use him, I wanted to use as many classic Outstrander characters as I could without flooding it. So that's why I punch and Julian bronze tiger in here. <laughs> and, um, and I was like, why would bronze tiger be in Arkham? Doesn't make any sense. I was like, of course he's a spy. They disavowed him. And suddenly he's telling everybody he's a spy. And they're like, no, he's not. <laughs> he's a crazy person for thinking that I was like, that would land you in jail. Um, and and so I have him in there for manslaughter, 
um, having done something slightly bad. I, I think of him like, and, and um, but you know, it, it's it was the first thing I did when I wrote. Uh, I, sorry, I'm back going back to old movies. People even bored the shit out of me. But oh, no. uh, I, I watched Dirty Dozen. You know the famous Jim Brown scene at the beginning yes. where he's just like, obviously he's the only innocent person there, and he's just like, fuck these. I just I, I want him to be the one innocent guy in jail who's like kind of bad. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, then I gave him a, a venom addiction, <laughs> uh, just. Just to, to make him a little bit tragic, because no Tom character can be non-tragic. So is that was that in Grayson, or is that in the? Did I miss? That, that's it, it, that's at the end of in, in the. It's it's hinted. At, there's a lot of stuff you get, um, but it's yeah. In, in Suicide, they say it in one issue where it's like, oh, he looks like you know, he's going through the sweats a little with a venom addiction, and then in, in the last issue in five in five to to, to execute Batman's plan. Um, he has to break out of. I'm spoiling the shit of I Am Suicide. Well, Sorry, that's everybody. That's okay. And I mean, it, it's it's out. Thirteen's been out for like a it's week. It's out. Now. I don't. I don't mind. Um, and uh, to, to get out of prison, he had to uh, inject himself with venom, basically, to execute the plan. And so that's that's why we start again putting him in the Dean Martin role. If you've seen that movie, it's about a guy quitting alcohol. Uh, we we start. Well, yeah, clearly, uh, yeah, venom is going to be a the the venom drug is going to yeah. be a big deal in this Bane uh, arc because certainly the way it ended with Bane kind of av- having kicked Venom yeah. prior to no, the of suicide now demanding the drug to come back and to put him at his full strength again. Yeah, so uh, so yeah, so the next arc with I Am Bane will feature your classic Bane roided out um, on Venom back in the costume with Dave Finch drawing every single vein you'd ever want to see in a vein arm. Oh my God, he draws them so beautifully. It's like nobody draws roided out people like David Finch does. It's just perfect. Is, uh, uh, is Vandal Savage's daughter ever going to reappear in his, Wasn't it? Wasn't she kind of in Gale's run? I know. I love the Bane from Gale's run, but I don't really have room to touch on to touch on it in this arc. Okay. Yeah, all right. Um, yeah, no, I love what she did with Bane. The, the characterization. There's a be- there's a fantastic love scene, and she's great. Isn't it Scandal? Uh, her name Scandal Savage or whatever. Scandal Savage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh no, and and it was this really complicated. I'm putting air quotes up. Love story where he obviously was so devoted to her. She was, you know, if if not only uh, lesbian, then maybe bisexual. But that the, you know, but she really did feel a, a uh, some level of devotion to him as well. Yeah, I, I just that's that, I worship that stuff so much. I think it needs to stand on its own. I didn't want to okay. sort of re- like half reference it okay. without embracing it. Um, so I think people should go. People who love that much as me should go to the Gale stuff and read it again. Secret Six, kids. Yeah, Secret Six is brilliant. Yeah, it's my favorite Gale Simone stuff. Tremendous run, absolutely, man. No, this, that original Secret Six run for Gale was really, really great. Yeah, I, I loved it. Coming out of uh, Infinite Crisis. Yeah, I debated using Catman for this arc. I was like, I just there's some characters that you why would I can't write Catman better than Gail Simone? Why even try? <laughs> I'm glad you brought Bronze Tiger back because I think he's great, great character of color. Always a very interesting character, I think, throughout the Bronze Age, and and uh, you know, really, I don't know who's used him much beyond you uh, since the Ostrander uh, Suicide Squad days. 
they are they are fools yeah. because he people are like what Bron Sig because I had Bron Sager best Batman in the first issue yes. in, the, in issue nine and they're like that's stupid nobody beats him I was like go back and read the original Bron Sager story he beats up Batman the first time he sees yep. him and Batman's injured in that story but um, that's that's from continuity like that's how cool Bron Sager is he's from the he was one of the leaders of the League of Assassins who trained Batman so yeah, exactly and I like the fact that they know each other and they're old friends. Um, no, and I and I really again I love this level of deep cover uh, that you know depending on how how things play out and stuff I love that you've introduced him as no as far as the public world is concerned this is another criminal and, yeah. and I think that's that's really cool that's great thanks yeah I like that character but it's funny because you know we, we talk about I am Sufis for long we haven't touched on Catwoman but that's all anybody that's, talks about that, I am Sufis is the Catwoman part well and I mean obviously again it's coming up with the romance and everything and certainly that I was going to get to Catwoman because <laughs> well how can you not I mean again the kind of love letter inner monologues the two were having about each other uh, in in the uh, in, in a couple of the chapters and stuff I think that that was great and again this is where you've got a simple story, but it allows for you to, to get into deep characterization. And again, these are conversations or thoughts between the two characters that I don't think have been explained that way. And some of it obviously is informed by what's happened to them. I mean, Hush, I think, is the closest we come to where we've really gotten inside the two of them. And also at the beginning of the New 52 when uh, Judd Winnick... Was... <laughs> well, and, and, yeah. No, and honestly... I mean that because I, you know, I'm one of the few people that I, I wasn't mad that Judd did that, Judd Winnick. You know, we talked about that, and I'm like, no, I, they, they've got a screwed up relationship, and you've shown a different side of this very screwed up relationship, introducing it, and clearly we're going to get more into it in the next two issues. Yeah, uh, that first, that infamous Doug page from Catwoman One Fifty Two is is. Um recontextualized in Batman Thirteen, or we reference it because I sure. think it's part of. Uh, part of like when people close their eyes and think about it. Yeah, the Catwoman thing uh, took me a little bit by surprise. Um, it was the first time I had gotten death threats over Twitter and all that kind of thing. What if, I, where I, was I like, been paying, forgive me, I haven't been paying attention. What didn't they like? They thought it was too what? Oh, they really didn't like that I made her a killer. That I said she killed 237 right. people. Okay. Um, and, uh, and they're like, that's completely out of character and that she would never do that, and you're an asshole, and go, <laughs> a lot of choke, like, go choke yourself, or we choke on something. It was very choke-oriented for some reason. And uh, and to be uh, perfectly blunt, they were 100% correct about all of that stuff. And I wanted to tell them, like, I agree with you. I Like, this is totally out of character. This is not who she should do. It's not what she would ever do. And... Um, and you got, you're just you. The problem is you're too smart and you're one step ahead of the story. And I wish I could tell you that, but I can't because it would ruin the story for you. And uh, and 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 that's what issue um, twelve was about, where Batman was like, I I don't believe you. You say you killed two hundred thirty seven people. I think you're lying, and and that's not who you are. And I have to, and I have to, and I have to find out why you why why you lied, and that's a mystery that I have to solve as the world's greatest detective. Um. So it was it was it was my first sort of taste of like a little bit of back back a little bit of bad internet backlash and uh, I don't know I, I really I appreciate the passion of all the of all those people I don't know how to say it, it wasn't it wasn't so horrible well and I, well good I will you know I it it wasn't I, again you're saying that there's this is a mystery that's going to be covered in fourteen and fifteen I guess 
Yeah, 13, yeah, 14 and 15. Sorry, I'm getting my numbers. Like no problem. double shipping makes my numbers up. Yeah, so in 14 and 15, uh, Mitch Garretts, uh, who did Sheriff of, Babylon, um, of Sheriff of Babylon with me and who is uh, who's just my favorite artist in comics, maybe. Um, and I'm lucky to be working with him. Uh, and it's, it's, it comes in and does a two issues does a two issue arc. We we had originally solicited this. Mitch and I were going to do a Swamp Thing story, which I wrote um, as sort of a Marvel like a Brave and the Bold kind of story. I call it the Brave and the Mold. <laughs> yeah, clever. I'm so good. I love. Um, and it was going to lead. It was going to lead to some Swamp Thing stuff that DC was going to do, but DC decided to push the Swamp Thing stuff back a little bit. Um, and so I, I planned for one issue of Catwoman and then one issue of that Swamp Thing thing, and I just realized that this Catwoman story was getting bigger and bigger. So I asked Mitch to come on for two issues to, so we could do one sort of cat, Catwoman thing for two issues and, and sort of give you, you know, to try to give you their relationship and how important it is this book going forward and, and, and to write something that's just genuinely touching, which no one in the comics can do better than Mitch if you've read Sheriff. Something that can you know make you cry just a little bit, absolutely uh, make you laugh. Um, it's nice to do a little bit of, of a quiet story. It's called Rooftops, and I think people are going to dig it. I hope people are going to dig it. And, and, and it's also and so also my apologies to all those cat bat fans out there who thought I was ruining the relationship to be like, no man, I'm one of you. Come, let's like party together. Um, thank you for sticking us out. This is like my, this is your reward kind of thing. That's cool. No, I'm excited, man. And again, I think the narrative that we read. I, I love uh, her seeming disgust of, uh, on the one hand, want, you, know, that, you know, growing up in the orphanages, and I love the the, the little slice you put in that the, the Waynes were funding. At yeah. one of them, and she had to kind of, like, look at that idealized, you know, portrait of the Wayne family, and just like, God, I, you know, I would imagine myself with you in that, in that portrait and stuff, and, you know, that was... I was like, well, I mean, Catwoman's not going to be, I mean, everyone's like, you make Catwoman a serial killer. You know, Catwoman's never going to be a serial killer. Like, obviously, that's not part of her character. Um, but I think when people do those, because what, I mean, what happens in the story is, is like an ISIS attack blows up her orphanage and she kills everyone in the organization. Um, and I have that instinct, too. Like, when ISIS, you know, drives a truck you just want to you want to kill anyone who gave an order, anyone who had anything to do with that. I mean, Lord knows I had that instinct. I fucking joined the CIA to try to do it. Um, and so I wanted to make it like, what would kill people kill for? And I think the average person might kill for that. Um, and so maybe Catwoman did, maybe she didn't. You'll find out in issues in the next few issues. Um, but I I wanted to show that that that. Only something as horrific as that. Only something – the thing that could break you could break her, basically. If you think about your emotions when a terrorist attack happens and how you want to go out and strangle a thousand people and you you don't. But if you had that ability, maybe in that moment you would. That's who she is, except she can do it. She has that ability. Um, so – but, of course, Batman sees that and Caesar says that and says, no, you do have that ability, but you'd never actually do it because you're stronger than that. And we'll see who's right, Catwoman or Batman. Very cool. Excellent. I want to congratulate uh, Michael Janin as well. Is it Mikel or Michael? It's Mikel Janin. Mikel Janin. Thank you very much. Yes. Uh, well, I appreciate getting the pronunciation right because I love uh, a trick that I was noticing as I was rereading to, to prep to talk tonight and everything. I love the idea 
that he will do a background splash image and and then instead of panels you've almost just got you know it's it's divided whether it's thirds or whatever to show the progression of action but the backdrop is still that same one image and a perfect example is that is as they're going through the labyrinth of uh, Bane's uh, headquarters to get to him uh, <laughs> for their secret mission you got that great you know scene of like all the all the pipes and, yeah. uh, and them climbing on the pipes and it literally is just a, a bunch of different images on each separate pipe of Batman or whomever climbing, but it's that same grouping of pipes. I think that's great. That's really clever, and I don't remember seeing that kind of a presentation of a page or design of a page like that before. Have you? No, I mean, Mikkel, Mikkel's an architect. Like that's, what he, that's the job he did before this, so he has this great design sense for how things work. And he, I mean, I've been working with Mikkel now for three years, right, because we did Grayson together. Okay. Did he do and... that Grayson? Would he do stuff like that? He did it a little. I mean, nobody, nobody. This this skill that Mikhail has, he has these two things that he does better than anybody else, which is um, he draws uh, ghost ghost images, or I don't I don't know what you call them. I still don't know it, but a compa. Basically, when you have a you know a, a Carmen Infantino situation where um, Carmine Infantino, where, where you, you have a, a, a character moving and they're moving so fast that you see ghost images of them. Sure, right. Um, he does that better than anybody in comics. And another thing he does in comics is he'll he does um, horizontal pages amazingly well. Like I, when I think of comics, I'm very vertical. I think of a comic sort of going down. I often think of the same shot going down. That's why I'm, you've seen so many nine panel grids in my work. Mm-hmm. Um, Mikkel thinks of a comic as a horizontal object, and he'll he'll combine pages uh, that I write hor- um This is getting complicated, but I, I, I write them up and down, and he'll combine them to go left and right. Um, almost Bendis style. Bendis is most famous for this, right? Uh, and so, in issue twelve, I had this. I had. A, I've, I realized like this issue is going to be so simple. It's it's all it is Batman fighting a bunch of people. And I, I was like, all right, I'm going to stop holding Mikkel back because I feel like I'm constantly sort of pulling on the reins sometimes with him. And I'm like, and I, and I, and I, I was, I was, I told him, I was like, for this issue, I want. We're just going to do. Um, it. 10 splashes <laughs> and you could do whatever you want. It's going to be eight double page splashes and two splashes on the ends. And you, and I'll, I'll just give guidance on what's having the scene. And you do, you do whatever you want. And I actually gave him, um, they, they messed up the lettering, but it, he, I gave him story credit for it. I gave him half of my paycheck. So, um, so that we could sort of write it together because my, because my writing was like panel one fight, panel two fight. It wasn't even worth it. I wasn't getting paid for it. Um, so, so we shared sort of story credit, and he he did an amazing job of sort of putting it together and making it flow, and then Clayton Close making the and then the trick of that issue, the, what made that issue so hard was, like he did it beautifully, but if I don't write the right dialogue, your eye is not going to stop, like you're just going to flip through it in ten seconds, yes. and you'd be like, what the fuck is this comic book I paid for three dollars for this thing? <laughs> um, so I had to write, <laughs> I had to write something that was worth those pictures, and I could get you to pause, and um, and so that's the that's the Batman letter and the where he like admits that you know I had to change continuities a little bit, or and and he admits to um, try to kill himself when he made his vow, and um, and I think it works. It's my favorite. It's 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 my favorite issue of the run so far. Um, and it's funny that your favorite issue is the issue you write the least of, but sometimes it's the way comics work. That's awesome, man. No, I think that's amazing. 
And uh, man, I'm telling you, you're you're really you've been blessed with amazing uh, collaborators. Truly, uh, this, this is ridiculous. I know we've talked about it a little bit before, and then you know we've given Mitch his due, and we've given Dave, Gabriel his due. So I'm glad that we finally give Mike uh, Mikel his uh, his due as well. And David Finch, don't forget my and, brother. And shame on me, of course, David Finch. Yeah, Dave, and nothing, don't get me wrong, Dave, Dave's a rock star. Dave was a rock star before I opened my mouth. It's okay. That's <laughs> right. We don't, he doesn't need the love. He exactly. doesn't need no, love. I'm sure he does need the love. He's got his wife to love him. That's all right. <laughs> and, he's got, and he's got millions of fans. And, uh, you know, no, he's great. I, I've always been a fan. We mentioned Disassembled. I loved his Moon Knight back in the day. Um, you know. Well, 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 what I'm really proud of in Batman, and um, I, I hope people see it, is is the art because a lot of these um, double ship books, the art's suffering. I think people are certain, I mean, no offense to anyone, but when you're double shipping, it's hard to get the art straight. And uh, Mark Doyle came up with this plan in the beginning to do these sort of five issue arcs and then um, fill in artists in between to give people rest so that you could, at the end, you get three trades with three consistent artists through the whole thing. And, uh, and we've stuck to that plan. And that's the reason you get, we're the only book that did this where you, you get five finches in a row and then you get a break, you get Ivan Reese and then you get um, five Mikels in a row and you get a break, you get Mitch Gerrits and then you get five finches in a row That's great. and then you're going to get a break. And um, I think it's going to, I can't announce who it's going to be, but his name rhymes with Jason Fabok. And, <laughs> and, awesome. and then, uh, terrific. And then, um, and then you're going to get five Mikels in a row. So that's great. Man. Actually, actually, it's going to be six. So, so I mean, we're very planned out to make sure that the art doesn't suffer because of this two week schedule. Because that was my big worry that the art would suffer. But I think everybody's uh, uh, concern. I think every writer had that concern, and I certainly think that a lot of readers did as well. And no, that's great. I'm glad. I'm glad you know you're getting good solutions, man. And again, no, I. I that's the thing. I don't think the art dips. Uh, you know, and, and I th- and I kind of think everybody compliments each other. I mean, you know, Finch and Finch and Mikel are definitely very different as is Mitch, but I don't know. It seems to work. And maybe is it always? Who's your colorist here? I'm looking. Uh, June June Chung is June always the colorist, or does Finch color his own stuff? Or no, so Jordy um, Jordy colors Finch. Okay, Jordy Blair yeah, colors yeah. Finch. June Chung colors Mikel. So we have, we have two different, and then the letters are different. John Work, the great John Workman. Um, uh, who, if you don't know his work, he he uh, he lettered uh, Simonson on Thor, so you oh, know yeah. his work. Yeah, yeah, long time lettering genius. That's yeah, cool. so he does the Finch uh, stuff, and Clayton is doing. He does it. he does Finch stuff, and then Clayton does the Mikel stuff. That's cool. And and Mitch Mitch always colors himself, so so Mitch is Mitch is his own animal. Very cool. And um, uh, so, so so we so we have we have rotating teams, and and we have the best teams. I mean, I've. All those people who work on that book are the best they can be. Are the best. They're they're people at the height of their their game. It's got to feel good not only to have vision in a lot of best of twenty sixteen uh, lists, but also Sheriff of Babylon. Yeah, Sheriff of Babylon. I look at the, I was uh, look. This is ne- this is never going to happen to me again. You're only the new blood once, the new hot thing once. Like I'll never have a year like this again. So please know that I'm grateful for this. But um, it's it's interesting as all these lists come out and to see like. Whether they choose Sheriff Omega Man or Vision to be on the list, I'm always like, I'm always like, oh, they they they, they chose Sheriff and, and Vision. I was like, they must hate Omega Man. What I shouldn't have fucked that up? Or they'll choose Omega Man. I'm like, oh, they must have hated Vision. Why did I mess? Up? 
like the Hollywood Reporter gave a ton of love to Omega Men, but uh, Wired didn't, or, or Wired gave love to all three, and then um, Comic Cost. You know, it's 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 funny. I always feel I'm always happy when I see the list, and then I get unhappy immediately after because I feel like I fucked something up with one of the other three. <laughs> uh, or, or God, Batman's on any list, so I'm like, oh, I'm gonna fuck something up with Batman. Yeah, that's the thing. I think. Batman is its own thing, and I, and I think it gets judged as its own thing. So, and again, coming off of coming off of Scott, it is really hard to, I think, come up with something new to say about Batman, and I think you're doing it. Like I said, no, well, you're sweet. Oh. I mean, Batman's the, Batman's the Yankees. Nobody wants to right. say their favorite team is the Yankees, or they're they're like the Dallas Cowboys. You know, nobody's like, let me write an let me write a ten page article on why the Dallas Cowboys are great. Nobody wants to read that. Um, so. I, I totally understand, and uh, and I love working on Batman. I love my collaborators, um, so I got no problem with it. Let's take a break from the interview and tell you about our sponsor, Geek Fuel, a great subscription box service that ships out a mystery box each month that has at least $50 worth of value for only $15 plus shipping and handling. Some of the things that have really uh, tickled my fancy include a uh, cutting board for your kitchen that's shaped like a Nintendo game cartridge, a cool dragon's egg-shaped toothbrush holder, uh, uh, great downloadable games, and so much more. And uh, because it's the end of the year, there's a great deal going on where you can save an additional $3 off of any plan. So really, uh, the lowest plan is under $15, $13.90 if you act now. And the way to act now is to go to geekfuel.com slash wordballoon, where uh, not only will you get your uh, subscription box started, but also you'll get a free first gift so it's uh, even more than uh, the five to seven gifts you normally get. An additional gift will be provided if you go to geekfuel.com slash wordballoon. Act now. Geekfuel.com slash wordballoon. Well, I mean, yeah, but, yeah, but we should talk about Sheriff. Yeah, man. No, I'm, you <laughs> Sorry, know, I get distracted by my own ego. No, I, I, I really think, uh, you know, Sheriff succeeds. You guys and, uh, and certainly Gail with Clean Room and a couple other Vertigo books, it's nice to see that, you know, Vertigo has found its footing once again and is is the important imprint it, it always has been and i and i'm really glad that so many people have discovered sheriff of babylon and and appreciate it as much as they do yeah i, I just i was rereading because i don't know issue five i'm so proud of issue five of sheriff of babylon it's getting some love as like the best issue of the year i was like yes thank you so much because that's the one no, that's the. Although I like the, that, that's the more just the two of them talking for a whole issue. It's like um, Chris and Nasser's wife are talking just in a basement for an issue. Okay, okay. Um, and it's like our bottle issue, whatever you call that. Sure, so, sure. Um, yeah, I, 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 it's, I like how Sheriff. I mean, Mitch did the shit out of Sheriff, um, and he nailed it. Yeah, Mitch and I are doing Sheriff Two is coming out in another year and a half, I think. That's what I was going to ask. Okay. Very good. And then we're. Do, I can only tease it now because it's. I can't announce it yet, or else Dan will come on and yell at me, or I'll think he's you, and he'll yell at me. Uh, but 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 Mitch and I are doing a separate series. It's sort of a follow up to Vision. Like I, I literally went. Um, well, can I give you some background? Of course. Inside stories. Yes, exactly. please. Um. I. Uh, so we were looking after sort of Sheriff was ending, and I wanted to do something in the gap that was superhero-y. I wanted to take a break before Sheriff 2 came out, um, basically because I'm conflicted about the rights issues and all that. Um, the rights? And I, 
Okay. In terms of- just yeah, and in terms of other media and, and how that stuff's handled. Okay. Okay. Uh, um, because you know every, every contract is different, and I you know it was, uh, so Mitch and I co-own part of Sheriff, but also DC co-owns. It's just sure. a little complicated. Okay. So in, and I just want to clarify. So what you're saying is the 12 issue story obviously is being optioned. If you add anything to it, it possibly could fall under that same option. It would fall under the same right, option. There you go. Okay. Yeah. So everything we do into Sheriff, Warner Brothers slightly owns. Sure. Um, which is fine. That's I signed that contract with my eyes wide open. I'm per- perfectly fine with it. Sure. Um, and uh, and I benefited from Sheriff and from the fantastic editorial support and monetary support and um, marketing support. So it was worth. It, I would I would make that deal ten times out of ten. Okay. 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 <laughs> um. But uh, so Mitch and I were looking for something to do sort of in the gap while we decided because Sheriff Two is written. I've already written it, so it's, I just have to put it in a pump, put put it uh, in a comic book. And uh, and we hit upon this Batman story that we really liked, and and I pitched it to up the chain, you know, pitch it to Jim Lee, pitch it to Dan, pitch it to Mark Doyle, um, and it was accepted. And so Mitch and I were going to do this Batman series together that was going to be separate from the main Batman series. We, you know, we were going to do something almost like year one, like something dark and dreary. And uh, and I got a call from my editor the nicest guy. And he's like, Tom, we love that story so much. It has to go in the main book. And we're like, what? Like what? But it's, it's, it's like horribly edgy and, and dark. He's like, but you know, year one was in the main book. I was like, yeah, but that was in the eighties when we could do anything. And he's like, no, 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 that's where it goes. It goes in the main book. So I was like, okay, but now I don't have a book for Mitch and I to do. And he's like, Oh, I didn't think about that. So at Baltimore, uh, Dan took me out and we got really drunk. And, uh, he, I should say I got really drunk. He was going strong. I was out of my mind. <laughs> and oh my, I hope he doesn't listen to this. But yeah, uh, and I was trying to play it cool, like yeah, I'm totally calm. Let's get another shot. And I was like, I'm going to puke on Dan DiDio in the middle of this meeting. <laughs> that is going to be my legacy. Um, the end of. Uh, but but I was like, you know, it was one of those things where you're, you're drinking, you're like, oh man, I gotta get to some Gatorade or else I'm never gonna function for the next two days. Oh yeah. And but you can't tell your friends you're there. Uh, and and he's like, so what, 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 what do you want to do? What do you want to do? Just 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 name it. It's look, I'm in, you're never gonna be in this position again. But like, you know, I, what I'm writing, people are buying, which is very nice. So he's like, name a property. Well, what, what do you want to do? What property? And I, I was like, I was like, I honestly don't care. He's like, no, 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 you must care. I was like, no, I, was like, no, I, I don't. Just you, you give me something. Because, I mean, that's what happened with Vision and with Grayson and with Batman. Like, people gave it to me, and I did what I could with it. I I prefer to write that way. I prefer to be sort of put in a box. Interesting. And, um, and so, oh, there's my phone. It's probably Dan. being like, stop talking about me. Don't tell my drunk story. I was also very drunk when I was making this decision. So, you know. Uh, I don't care. And I was, I was like, I gotta get out of here. I gotta get to my Gatorade. Uh, and, um, and so he threw out, he threw out a few ideas and I remember Atomic Nights was very seriously considered for a while because I have an Atomic Nights story. I was like, oh, okay, let's do Atomic Nights. Hilarious. And, um, but then he threw out something else and I was, he's, he's, cause all you want, honestly, like all I want from, from, from a series I would do is just to be left alone. Sure. Like I just... I mean, it's it's like I mean, I'm not the first person to say this. I mean, I think probably Neil Adams said this when he first first 
like the best thing you can have in comics is for someone to say, here's a series that's about to get canceled. Right. Right. Like that's the, that's what they do with vision. Like they're like, here's vision. Like nobody cares. It's going to get canceled in six or Omega men. Same thing. You know, this, nobody cares. Right. That's the best thing that can happen to you in comics. I'm like, give me something like that. Um, like they gave Neil Adams X-Men or, um, or they gave, you know, uh, uh, Ingle, or how, you know, like a Howard the Duck idea. Or Brubeck uh, doing a Prez book as or you know, in history. Yeah. Well, Brubeck doing America, like Captain America was in the trash can when he found it and he brought it back to something brilliant. Uh, yeah, you're right about that, actually. <laughs> I forget. I always forget because I'm such a Cap fan and everything. No, you're right. It was, it, it kind of had been, it was burnt out by the time. Yeah. And I, I like, I like that John Nay Reaver, um, Cassidy stuff, it's it's beautiful, but like nobody, it gotten too edgy, and so people have forgotten. Well, and, and it, it was late, and it was kind of yeah. yeah. It, and also, it, I I have a suspicion there was some editorial in, uh, interference because he did take a chance and had Camp very provocatively talking about nine eleven kind of stuff right at the moment nine eleven and everything. So, and I know and Kirkman actually was brought in and did more superheroy stuff, you know, in between. Or after after Neighbor and everything in Cassidy. Yeah, uh, yeah, I forgot about that. There you go. I know, man. Um, but but yeah, but um, Brubaker on Captain America is the perfect example where you can just be like, yeah, I'm going to bring back Bucky, and they're like, who cares? Nobody reads Captain America, and you know, like, oh wow, and then it turns into something. Um, so that's why I asked Dan for some property that was like that, and he handed me one which I can't talk about, but and he's like, here's one that that no one has ever done anything good with and you can do whatever the fuck you want. And I went home and I like took a shower. I was like, Oh, here's my pitch. And I pitched it to the next day. It's like, yeah, do that. And then I called Mitch. I was like, Hey Mitch, would you do this? And he's like, yeah. So then we launched a series and that's going to be our next thing. Fantastic. When does that debut? Uh, this coming year, at least uh, you can, can you put it that uh, mildly? Yeah, no, it comes out in August. I'll okay. put it, I don't want you to put it mildly. It's coming out in August. Uh, we're going to, it's going to be a 12 issue series, cool. just like Vision and Sheriff and everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Omega Men, yeah, like a contained um, something. And it's going to be, it's going to be, I mean, we were entering this very strange time. Uh, and, and I don't want to talk about Trump because I feel like, I feel like everybody is going to be pitching like Trump as a big bad guy or Trump as a, I just feel like that's going to be too much in, in the DC universe. You think that's going to be uh, people are going to want to use the Trump presidency in their books. Oh, I think, I think all of media is going to want to use the Trump presidency. I think there's so much energy around that. I think just like, it's, it's just going to be, it's going to be played to death, you know? Um, and I don't want to talk about, so I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to make like, that kind of statement, uh, yeah, yeah. That kind of, you know, like, okay. Uh, okay. let's have the Joker is runs for president or something crazy, stupid like that. <laughs> um, I could just see, yeah, all the red states, yeah, you know, Joker, I could see that. Yeah, <laughs> it's about time. He'll help us. He'll get jobs. He'll give us jobs. That's fantastic. Um, that's you know, I thought the Loki for president book was the book I was supposed to do, and I got my DC exclusive. <laughs> and. Uh, I don't talk politics. I don't I, in my Twitter feed. I appreciate people who do, and I follow a lot of people who do. I don't just. I, I feel like my politics are in my books, and you can read them. I, and I try not to be overt about it because who's gonna? I'm not gonna convince anybody with a book. Um. Uh, so well, you know, while while you're while you're collecting your thought real fast, I just want to say, I I think 
we don't know what a Trump presidency is going to be. And I actually finally heard a, uh, some cogent reasoning from a pundit who said, and he, and he did come from the right, but he's like, you know, like, let's wait six or eight months and see what it looks like. And then we'll say it. Because, yes, I, I am uh, among those that are like, I don't know what's going on with the cabinet. I don't like a lot of what he says. But let's see him actually in the job for six months or eight months because that's when the rubber hits the road and you really do know what things are going to be like. Sadly, we learned that with uh, 43, with Bush, uh, with, unfortunately, 9-11. And, uh, and Obama faced the economic uh, collapse and had to do something about it right away. So I, I think, you know, there's going to be plenty of things that will really mark what his presidency represents by his actions rather than his Twitter feed. And so that's why I really haven't had much to say beyond that initial, holy shit, what does this mean? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I just try to approach it as an artist. Or not artist, that sounds so fucking horrible. I just try to approach it as a guy who tells stories. And when you tell stories, try to, you try to tap into something. And it seems there's like this, I don't know, this paradigm. There's, there's this bizarre mood. It feels like that post-9-11 era when it was like, like the world didn't make sense either from in a good way or a bad way. Like yeah. things are happening that you could not predict would happen. And it makes you feel like a, like a, like a combination of anxiety and paranoia. And you don't know if it's, you don't know which is which, like sure. is it true anxiety or is it stupid paranoia? And, um, so I want to write about that. So that's what the series is going to be sort of about. Not about, I don't, I, I have no desire to write some one-to-one metaphor about Trump or to make him, you know, um, Steve Englehart's snake monster, um, Nixon. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, the uh, the Secret Society or whatever, wasn't it? Um, yeah, the Secret Society. God, yeah. I, dude, I'll t- you know, now that's and that's fair to say, Tom, because I, you know, I was a little kid when that was coming out, and I, you know, old enough to understand what was happening with Watergate and everything, but still a kid. I mean, I was, you know, like still in grade school or whatever, but. It was in the news, and it was pretty simple in terms of, well, they broke in, and they did this thing, and that seems to be illegal. And then his enemies list came out, and it's like, oh, wow, you know, this guy's weird. This, this guy's a jerk. And my older cousins and uh, my stepbrother were, were out demonstrating against Nixon and stuff. Um, so I, I kind of did see it firsthand in terms of that stuff. So when Engelhardt's Secret Society thing came out, it was of the time and everything. And I always considered it a classic kind of story. Also, uh, Neil Adams and uh, Denny O'Neill in uh, Green Air- in uh, Greenland and Green Arrow. Yeah. The one issue where uh, it's clearly an Agnew kind of uh, character, the bad guy, and he's, uh, there's a little girl who clearly has Nixon's face. <laughs> it was Grun... I'm getting my... Sorry, I'm getting my cat this late night. It's Grunwald turned Reagan into a snake monster. That's what happened. Oh, but yeah. Because, okay. yeah, I'm thinking of... Um... But I'm t- I was thinking of Nixon and, and Englehart, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought you meant metaphorically. And the secret society. You turned him into a I did. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> Grumal literally turned Reagan into a snake monster. That's right. Well, and we'll remember the politics of uh, Dark Knight. Dark Knight Returns. Yeah, the politics are. And, and, you know, Nixon's a star of Watchmen, so there's some history of this. Indeed. Absolutely. You know, um, so... Yeah. But it's, it's just as I, I just don't have any interest in doing sort of one to one ratios. I'd rather talk about because that's what makes, I feel like Watchmen is all about the Reagan era and all about the 80s that I grew up in. But it doesn't sort of hit it directly. And I, I, I appreciate that about it. You, you get the paranoia of the area era without getting sort of one to one. Sure. 
and of course. Well, and know. really, I think uh, V for Vendetta was even more, and it was more yeah. British politics. But God, you know, I mean, that was Thatcher's London that uh, that was scaring more and and inspired him to do V for Vendetta and everything. Man. And now look, and isn't it interesting because there was that paranoia of we're going to have cameras on the streets and every move is going to be recorded. Here we are. <laughs> you know, God, that's an evil sounding laugh. That sounds like it should be the end of a night gallery or something like that. <laughs> I thought it was perfect for the moment, frankly, Mr. Sanders. But uh, no, man. Well, that's cool that you've taken that time off. And, and, and also because, again, I, I, this, you know, I, I honestly, man, I, I think it's it's an amazing story. And, and knowing your background as little as I do, as, as much as been declassified. Uh, <laughs> no, I, honestly, dude, this is it was such a distinct book. And I think really, you know, there are no good guys. There are no bad guys, as the one song says. I forget it sings that terrible song where we just disagree, but it's yeah, it's a complicated world, man. And I and I think you see you sh- you showed everybody's uh, motivations very clearly in Sheriff. Yeah, I I, I did, and there's um, <laughs> and what my you know Sheriff is based on a on a, on a novel that I never printed, right? I wrote it as a novel. I remember you um, was gone. Yeah. And in, in the novel, there's one mystery that gets solved that's not solved in the comic books in the comics. Uh, the comic books. Let me grandma there for a second. In the funny books, you didn't mention it. Um, and uh, and I, I I kind of like that. I, I, that feels more like real life to me. That not everything gets solved in the end. I was very hesitant when I wrote it. I wrote, there was some at the end. I was like, oh, I never sort of tied this thread up of who did this thing. And and uh, if you do a close reading, you'll still see that. But then I was like, but you know, in real life, like threads don't get tied. Sometimes like mysteries remain out there. So I like sure. that about it. Uh, it that, that's what I like best about sheriff is that I could do things that were sort of elliptical and didn't quite make sense because that's the way life is better. Like the, especially the dialogue could be that way where like two characters would talk to each other and it just didn't add up the way a comic dialogue does when you're you know sort of trying to do this mammoth Bendis kind of thing. Um. And Sheriff, I could do more realistic, a lot of you knows and I means and that kind of thing. I understand. No, absolutely. Well, and, uh, I remember uh, David Chase saying that about The Sopranos, that people are like, are you ever going to go back to uh, that guy who raped uh, Dr. Melfi? And he's like, no, he gets away, just like how that happens in life. And the same thing <laughs> with, there was a Russian hitman when uh, Polly Walnuts and Christopher were stuck with wolves on gas. In their uh, in their four by four, and they were that's right, of course. And and you know they're like, well, clearly that guy got away, so that's going to come back and bite somebody in the ass. And Chase is like, no, that's not the story I'm telling, and that's not how life happens. And again, that explains that that kind of just blackout ending of uh, the Sopranos in general. Yes, which we stole for Omega Men, <laughs> <laughs> which has a blackout ending. Uh, Don't stop. I would fight, but no journey. But no journey. Sounds no journey. Like. No. Um, that came from the editor. That came from Andy Corey. Just he's like, what if we go black before before Kyle makes the big decision of whether he's going to be a terrorist or not? Wow. And I was, I was, I was, I was like, that's. You was like, you want you want us to soprano it? And he's like, yeah, let's soprano it. <laughs> and. Uh, and the reason I was th- my I told my kids about this ending, my eight year old, he was obsessed with it. He's like, "We should. That's a great ending, Dad." I was like, "No." They're like, um, And then Andy and I took a walk around Comic Con 
around the floor of Comic-Con just talking it through. And I was like, I guess we could do it. It, so, it sort of solved a problem for us because we're like, because I was like, I wanted him to become a terrorist. And he's like, DC will never let you make him a terrorist. Sure. And I was like, well, let's let's cut to black and the audience can decide whether he becomes a terrorist or not. That's awesome, man. Well, and it could, yeah, maybe this is a, one of those great subtext untold stories that who knows when Kyle, you know, returned to uh, the DC uh, Rebirth uh, universe and stuff, whether he did, he did or didn't. Oh, man, I, I had pitched an Omega Man 2 uh, when nobody was buying Omega Man. And uh, <laughs> it, it was, it was, it's a good story. And, and, of course, it got rejected. I mean, they, they're like, we love it, we love it, we love it. But, you know, nobody actually buys this shit. I was like, oh, yeah, I, know, I forgot. <laughs> How are the sales going for the 12-issue collection? They're through the roof. It made New York Times bestsellers list. And, well, yeah. Uh, well, that's, go back to like you know, it's the billionth printing, and people are reading the crap out of it. Yeah. So now, now they're so now. DC, I've just you know DC's like, hey Tom, do you want to do an Omega Men too? And I'm like, I already pitched it. You have it in your computers. Um. Well, maybe it'll get a second consideration now. Yeah, I mean, I could do it if I wanted to. I mean, the door is open. Uh, okay. I, I just have to see if I can find the time where Barnaby wants. I mean, it's all. I wouldn't do it without Barnaby, my artist on that Barnaby Beginda, uh, to see if Barnaby wants to do it. Does the double shipping make it hard to do other things now that your plate is clean and doesn't have Vision and Sheriff immediately? And you've got the, like you said, you've got the new series coming up in August. Um, but yeah, does it make it harder to, you know, maybe pursue some of this stuff? Because clearly, you know, the, the critics and the people have responded to your work. And I would think now is a good time to, uh, you know, maybe stretch and, and maybe, you know, do an image book on the side or something like that. Who knows? Yeah, I'm not. I am. I'm not ready for image yet. I don't know. How come? Uh, I just you feel you like know, you're still learning and 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 kind of. Yeah, I want my image thing when it launches to be just the best thing I can do, and I'm not there yet because I, I want it to be worth people spending spending money on it, and um, I have to find the exact right artist. I mean, I could. Yeah, I mean, I could do image right now if I wanted to they'd take me and I have I think they'd take me home who knows um, but I just I haven't found the right idea yet or the right I'm not there yet I'm not good enough yet okay okay because um, because an image book has to be it has to be better it has to be it has to be as good as Saga, right? It has to be so good that even though you don't know those characters even though they're not a world you care about you keep coming back month after month and I don't know if I'm not capable of doing that right now. Maybe I will okay. be someday. It's hard. That's a hard thing to do. No, I understand. And I and I do think that the success stories are because, you know, in the case of Saga, Brian obviously had Vaughn, had, uh, you know, several amazingly successful runs. Not just Y, but, you know, uh, the the Lions of uh, Baghdad. Of course. And, um, you know, uh, uh, Ex Machina with uh, with Tony Daniel, or not, uh, Tony, rather, shame on me, uh, Tony... Um, Harris. Tony Harris, exactly. Oh, Tony, I'm so sorry if you're listening to this. I apologize. <laughs> I love Tony Harris. He's, yeah, he's honestly, I, I'm always happy to see him, and he's he's one of my truly favorite artists and everything. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's the thing. He had those, those years that he put in. That's, you know, um, we've talked about this before, that... Um, this is the interesting time in comics where you make your bones at DC and Marvel, you establish your audience, and then are able to, if you want, keep a foot in those big two companies, but also do your own thing. 
and as you know successful as of 2016 has been for you no i i think that's i i think you've got a handle on where you are and and also like yeah maybe you know make sure that you really do have that that audience that's willing to jump with you you know uh because who knows i mean that I think I think image is still a crapshoot because there's so much good stuff out there for from everybody. Yeah, I think that's God. True. You know, I mean, you you I can't read everything, <laughs> and and I'm incapable. It's one of the reasons why I still haven't read Omega Men, and I and I do want to. And, I, and you know, how dare you, John? I know, man. I know, I know. No, don't. I I'm gonna. We're yeah, gonna come out. Don't. <laughs> I write too many comic books. Don't read all my oh, comic books. You know, hey man, everyone knows uh, there's a reason why Brian Bendis comes on the show as much as he does. I don't read everything he does. I am it's I'm, it's impossible. It's too expensive. <laughs> and, although now I have Marvel Unlimited, so now I can be six months behind and read a lot of what he does. Um, you know, but but truly, I mean, and, and that goes for a lot of uh, the men and women whose work I I really do love. Or it's like, okay, great, I'm talking to Kelly Sue. Let me catch up on Pretty Deadly. Let me catch up on Bitch Planet. I haven't been re- reading it monthly. You know, things like that happen. That's just the way it is. And and again, it's a good it's a good problem to have as a reader. Uh, it, it makes for a com- very competitive market, and it makes it that much tougher to choose whether this is the right time to put out an image book. Well, I, you can only write what inspire. I mean, what inspires you. And right now, what inspires me is superheroes that have been worked on by dozens of creators. I, cool. I don't know why that appeals to my brain at this moment, but just. I, I like that idea of going back to the history and looking at what they've done and sort of sparking off that rather than creating my own. I mean, I started out writing a novel where I sort of created my own, you know, he's, uh, you know, Captain America version and, and, and Batman version. And I, I sort of did that. And I, I like this better. I like working with these, I like working with the actual Batman and the actual Superman. I mean, I'm sure I'll be jaded and tell you something different five years from now, but for now, I, to me, it's very satisfying. I think that's awesome, man. And honestly, and you know, uh, a lot of our previous conversations have been kind of clouded with the dissatisfaction I've had with uh, DC and w- just overall. But I can honestly say that I think Rebirth is really fulfilling what we had hoped it would be. And I do think that um, the right creators are on the right books. And I do think that the majority of books are great. And I think a lot of veterans that uh, are very capable of excellent work. I don't know if it's, well, this is the right character at the right time, or editorial has kind of eased back and let these people kind of tell their stories. I kind of think it's that latter possible argument. Um, Or that they're in agreement with the directions these guys are going on because they had the meetings with Jeff Johns, as I'm sure, as I know you did, and said, this is what I want to do. And it's like, okay, do it. And it's like, all right, fine. Then I'm going in this direction. But no, I think DC Rebirth is really succeeding. I mean, Superman... Man, I think I think both Pete Tomasi and Dan Jurgens, they're doing an exceptional job with the character. I think it's fantastic, and I really I couldn't agree more. Yeah, and I think Gene Young, uh, Yuang, I, I never know how to say Gene's last name. Uh, <laughs> Just say genius. Yeah, but there you go. Yeah, literally genius award Gene. Um, genius award Gene. Grant, yeah, genius Grant Gene. Uh, no, I think New Superman is a great idea, and he, it, it's it's a much more interesting book. I didn't care for his run on regular Superman. I'll I'll say it. But I do like this new this new character and the ideas. I was like the Great Ten coming out from China. And I did like them too. You know, and yeah, I, I think and, and I loved when uh when Rucka would play with the rest of the world in uh Checkmate. Wasn't it Checkmate? Yeah, of course. Right. Yeah, I wanted to make sure, yeah. 
No, with Amanda Waller in it. Yes, and well, and just again a look at the world beyond what's happening in uh, the United States in the DC universe and stuff. And I and um, yeah, I just think I, I think there's a lot of really good books. I think Flash is kicking ass. I think Green Arrow is doing great. Um, you know, those are the main. I think the Benson sisters are doing great with the Birds of Prey. Yeah, they are. That's you know? amazing. Yeah, yeah. I I read a lot more DC now than I ever have before. I read all those books. Um, I. I love what James is doing on Detective. I think that's such sure, a great – absolutely. Um, I love what Scott's doing on All. So I think Batman is such a great place right now. Just like All, all Cylinders Perfect. And uh, I, uh, Williamson's Flash. I, I like Venditti's Green Lantern. I like I, – I think just the line is the line is really working. Yeah. It's, yeah. I think Tomasi has done something magical with Superman. I think it's going to be remembered for a long time. Yeah, man. I mean, the, he's, he's the right person at the right time. I, I really think outside of you and Seely playing with Dick Grayson, I think Pete was one of those guys that really got Nightwing right. Oh, yeah. I still like Don Kramer stuff. Sometimes. Yeah, exactly. And and I really think, no, I, I saw I saw Pete in New York, and I've, I've said to Dan both on this show and, and through emails and stuff how much I love what he's doing with action and stuff, Jurgens. Um, that's the thing, man. I'm like, like Jurgens, Jurgens knows Superman, and it's like, and now finally he gets to work with a version of Superman that makes sense. Of course. And now it's like, of course he knows he knows this Superman, so he's kicking ass. And yeah, pizza, pizza, breath of fresh air on Superman. But again, and we should we should also uh, Pat, Pat Pat Gleason co-writes with him and does the art. So oh, you know, we should also Pat Gleason. You're right, and I love. I love Pat's work as well. You're 100 percent right. Yeah, the character too. Yeah, so it's that's the best guy. Up. He's the only guy in comics has more kids than me. So we get to we we bond over. <laughs> that's awesome. That's great. So what else is on your mind, man? A good Christmas. Everything went okay. I did. I had a very good Christmas. Um, my kids got great to- toys. They all wanted superhero stuff. So my kids are like totally nerded out now. Fantastic. Uh, except my daughter plays with superheroes like she plays kind of house with superheroes. <laughs> oh, that's cute. That's adorable. So she wanted – she's six um, and she wanted like uh, dollhouse toys because I, I, I buy um, Justice League Unlimited. Uh, if you watch my Twitter feed, I'm constantly Twittering about this. But um, I, uh, I my daughter's obsessed with Justice League Unlimited toys, these little sort of okay. like – if you're in the old Star Wars toys, they're that size. Sure. Uh, um and I have, I probably have like 300 scattered through my house <laughs> and every room has, and, and, and they're so wonderful because they did all these deep cuts. So like, you'll just be like, I'm like, you know, I'll go to the bathroom late at night and I'll step out. Oh, what Hawk, what are you doing here? Where's Dove? <laughs> Is there a vigilante <laughs> Justice League Unlimited uh, figure? I didn't, no, I don't have a vigilante, but I have like, you know, there's the flaming skull and, uh, gentleman ghost I have ah. and, I mean there's some good, so there's some good deep touch there's like deep. two right. deep days and I've been rewatching that cartoon I cannot believe how good that cartoon is could not agree uh, more obviously and I know millions agree with us so yeah have, I you heard, watched, have you watched Justice League Action yet I, I heard you I was just listening to you and Paul Dini talk about it I worship Paul Dini as a storyteller well, and, I, and I'm pleased to say since that uh, interview I did finally watch uh, the uh, the first the first four that they showed on Cartoon Network because like I said I DVR'd it and I was really happy I, I think it's great and I'm really excited with all the uh, character hints that that Paul laid out for us and everything on that word balloon I love it I love that it's back 
and it's written so well and it's perfect and it's great they're having new episodes but it does make me a little bit sad because you can it just the animation is not as good as the old one you can just I tell like that. the, the, the budget's the budget's not there it's not their fault the writing is perfect but the budget's not there for it and um, and, 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 and it makes me go back to the old because the old series are free on Netflix or not free which right. right and, and yeah, you, yeah. Get, um, you can get Superman and Batman both on Amazon Prime if you have that so my, I have that as well I agree my kids have been watching it nonstop and uh, and that's that's I watch like two to three episodes a day not that I would ever watch let my kids watch TV but I do constantly uh, and I, I can't believe how good they are they boggle my mind I was like these are the best Justice League stories that have been ever told, and they're told in cartoons. That's amazing. Well, that's why I, I the writing for Justice League action is so good, and I meant what I said when I was talking to Dini about how, again, these guys have been doing this for over 25 years and have had the time to evolve and, you know, kind of figure out how to really write these things at, at I think, this amazing level. And I think the animated movies, for the most part, the writing has held up, and the the long the long form. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and I and I really God, I uh, I loved Return of the Cape Crusaders. I I thought uh, I'm looking forward to Justice League Dark. Um, I, I'm I'm very psyched for that, and and it was fun talking to Jay Oliva and um, James Tucker. I'm always happy to have back on and stuff, and it it just seems like the caretakers really. They get it. I really want to talk to Alan Burnett because, God, he's been there from day one. And I just – I mean, I've had the moment to, like, introduce myself and just tell him how much I love his work and everything. But I really want to get him on Word Balloon. I really hope that happens. You, you let me know because I, I want to steal whatever – I mean, it's impossible to steal from Dwayne McDuffie anymore. That's the tragedy of it all, right? Yeah. Um, but I, I want to steal whatever because I watch him. Like, how did they do – like, I, I watch him from a storytelling point of view where you're like – you're four minutes into the story, and it, I was like, "If this was comic book issues, this is issue two already." And so I was like, "How did how did they do so much with so little?" And my kids know everything that's going on. They just they understand exactly where they started, exactly where, and it's not over expositional. It's all action oriented. I was like, "I, I just I, I don't know how they, there's a magic to it." And then, and I love that concept, especially just the unlimited of all the superheroes on the satellite, sort of having one big club. I love yeah. that's such a great concept. I'm like, why did we abandon that? That should be the DCU where you can like go up in, 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 in a superhero tower and, and you're walking around and there's the Adam is talking to blue beetle is, is having lunch yes. with wildcat. I'm like, well, that's brilliant. <laughs> like that's you know, the DCU. That's like, that's what I love. And you, and you, that's funny. Cause I was about to say Kelly Sue DeConnick was doing that with her Avengers assemble book. Yeah. And, and I think it was just bad timing. Because a lot of what you see, those fun moments in the Avenger movies, like when they're at the bar, hanging out, and everyone's trying to lift Thor's hammer and stuff, <laughs> those are fun. And that's why I love what your daughter is doing with the dollhouse and stuff. Because, no, that's that's where character comes alive. And you can really have fun, interesting moments with the characters. That's why the Bwahaha you know, era was so fun. Because a lot of it really was just downtime. Of uh, the Super Buddies, as uh, Booster and Beetle called them, uh, just hanging out and everything, you know, just and and having really funny conversations and interesting conversations, and they, that's where the differences in characterization can really come out. Yeah, see, I told you, I my my that reminds me of my favorite one of my favorite scenes in comic, which is like the last scene of um, Kingdom Come in the restaurant that yes. um, with Mark Way, Alex Ross, and I I love that scene so much, and there's like so much characterization of um 
of just the Batman, the Superman, and Wonder Woman sitting in a in a deli having lunch, and it's thrilling. I was like, "That's a, I, I, um And I bring that up because I, I do a tribute to that in Batman um, of sixteen, uh, cool. where you're going to see Batman in a in a themed in a superhero themed restaurant, sitting around with all the Robins having a conversation. And uh, it was my way of. Uh, I, and I, when, when Wade reached out to me about Viv earlier in the conversation, I reached out to him about this. I said, you mind if I steal this scene from you? And he's like, yeah, go ahead. Um, That's great. And uh, and I stole, I stole a line like, so just, just so people knew, you know, like I realized that I'm stealing from Mark Wade. Here's a direct line. Um, but yeah, I totally agree with you. It's like those small moments that turn things cool. Well, and in my head, like my favorite scene from that, that or my favorite moment from that scene is when uh, – uh, Batman's talking to Superman and he says, oh, you know, I caught Luther downstairs in the Batcave trying to hack the Bat computer." And he's like, he says hello. And Superman's, really? Yeah. Batman's like, no. <laughs> it just pulls the rug out from under him or takes the football away like Lucy. It's like, of course he didn't say hello. It's Luther, dumbass. What are you, crazy? Again, idiot. You think everyone's good and has a chance of redeeming themselves. No, it's fucking Luther, dumbass. Yeah, it's so perfect. <laughs> Such a perfect scene. You know, and it could just even be a quiet no. <laughs> you know, a good Kevin Conway kind of no. But uh, in my mind, it was a little more snide and a little more, uh, I guess, uh, if, um, oh, God, now I'm blanking, from Friends. And now he's on that horrible odd couple show. Oh, Matthew yeah. They, yeah, Matthew yeah, Perry. Like, no. <laughs> That's right. So, yeah, no, I love, that. that is a great scene. I was very fortunate this year to have, uh, Wade and uh, and Alex. I did, and that, that's when I learned that it wasn't part of the original series from your interview. Uh, yes, yes. And it was added for the tray. That was amazing. It was added for the tray. Man, yeah. it, it, it's the perfect capper to that series. It wouldn't work. Oh out. god, yeah. Have you heard the audio dramatization of the of Kingdom Come? I have not. Is that a thing? Should I be in? It was a thing, and it, I mean, I bought it originally on cassette, <laughs> and I'm sure if you hunt around, you can find it. Do you know they did? I, I, I'm reasonably certain, because I remember asking Chuck Dixon about this. I think it was BBC Radio that originally produced these things. But they, they were audiobooks. They did Kingdom Come. They did Nightfall, which was really good. Crazy good Nightfall uh, nice. adaptation. And I'm trying to think of what Nightfall's other... so long. I've, I had to reread it because I was doing Bane. It's so long. It's... It's, it was two cassettes. It was like, it's, it's almost three hours long. <laughs> and I think it was made episodically for BBC Radio. Um, oh, and they did The Death of Superman with the, sure. with the Reign of the Superman afterwards with Doomsday and everything. Uh, and they're all fantastic. <laughs> Seriously, music is great, and they've got interesting uh, voice actors. And, um, yeah, Kingdom Come was, I, I think, incredibly w- well done. Because there's also there's another company that has been doing adaptations of comic, uh, big event comics, and it's good. The only thing that I don't like about it is it's um, they really spend a lot of time on a hero appeared. She was wearing yellow, green, you know, green tights or whatever. Oh, it's Phantom Lady. Okay. And like, you get like a 30-second description of the hero before they enter the scene. And it, it really takes away from the storytelling where everything else was pretty much, you know, Nightfall, right from, you know, uh, Bane breaking Batman's back to Azrael. Uh, becoming Batman and Batman tearing, you know, tearing Azrael apart again to John Paul Valley. Wow. It's, it, it's great. No, it's a really, it's a very well made and and film freak. All the all the interesting 
momentary Batman villains that make a quick cameo in the ra- in this audio version. I was going to say radio. Maybe it Film was. Freak is in Batman 13. All oh, fantastic. I didn't even notice. Shame. It must be 14. 14. Cat, 14. The Catwoman thing? The Catwoman thing. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah. 14. Film Freak. Fantastic. Freak, well, as well as he should be, because clearly we're both Film Freaks. So Damn right. He should be. That's it. And I was going to mention, as you were saying, uh, Amazon Prime, uh, things to look for on Amazon Prime, if you haven't already seen them. Did you watch the Steve McQueen Le Mans documentary? No. Amazing. And it's on Amazon Prime. See, this is why I come to this podcast. I need some recommendations. Well, they, you know, I, I, well, I'm hoping for some, some recommendations in kind. But also, The Man Who Saved Ben-Hur is a really interesting little movie about this guy in his 80s who was a production assistant on the 50s shoot of Ben-Hur with Charlton Heston and about his career in Hollywood. And he was a crew guy. And he, the reason why he made it to Ben-Hur was uh, he was of Italian descent and spoke Italian so he could help the uh, director, you know, translate and stuff to the Italian crew and everything. And But became friends with all the stars. And uh, huh. it's it's a great Hollywood story. So those two are really good. Those are, those are the two that I've seen recently. I noticed that the... Um, oh, God, now I'm blanking... Um, Oh, what's his name? Uh, the guy who directed The Untouchables, Brian De Palma. Yeah, Brian De Palma. I know there's a new documentary that's by um, Noah Bombach made a documentary about it. Right, and it's it's now on Amazon Prime. I remember when it came out last summer, um, or, or earlier this year even, maybe, and uh, Bendis bought it on iTunes, and he's like, you got to see it. And I'm like, all right, I'll get to it. And, of course, I didn't. Now I don't have to buy it because uh, it's uh, it's free on uh, with Amazon Prime. Did you, see the, did you see the Shatner TNG documentary? Yes, Chaos on the Bridge. <laughs> that was amazing. I oh, love... it's it's my favorite recommendation to Star Trek fans who haven't seen it. And Marty Pasco, uh, I was just talking to him, and he's like, "My God, I have no idea." <laughs> it's and he great. knew people like he knows a lot of the writers and stuff, and he's he it it was really fun, like getting his reaction to it and everything. But yeah, oh my God, that's amazing. I mean, I knew like they'd say O.G. Roddenberry was in ill health. But I didn't realize how bad, and I also didn't realize that it was because, you know, he was boozing up and drugging up a lot in the 70s. And I can appreciate that because every time he'd try and do a new pilot, I liked it. I remember when all that stuff was coming on TV and were kind of backdoor pilot TV movies and stuff, but nothing would ever happen with them. All those movies and everything. Yeah, that was it was eye-opening in terms of Roddenberry and how his contribution was. And... Um, and it's, how much improvisation was behind these decisions that I thought were like epic while I was watching it. Sure. Like, Oh, we're going to replace the doctor with another doctor. I was like, Oh, there must be a huge backstory behind it. It was no, it's just like some random thought that went through somebody's yeah, head. Well, yeah, she was just cranky and was kind of difficult. And it's like, all right, the hell with her. Hey, Diana Mulder has a history with star Trek. Let's put her on. And yes. nobody liked it. <laughs> <laughs> the poor lady, Dr. Pulaski. Why are you such a pointed person? <laughs> oh yeah, I it, it it was very much. It reminded me of writing for comic books. This sort of idea of like all the weird politics that goes behind it, and all people see is this like screen in front. And 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 uh, and you think of that first episode and how it did not make any sense, and you kind of just tried to keep putting the puzzle piece. You're like, oh, someone must know that this makes sense. And you're like, they they didn't think it made sense when they put it out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Encounter at Farport. You're yeah. It right. felt it felt like two things have been slammed together that shouldn't be, and you're like, wow, that's a real interesting contrast they're making. You're like, oh no, it's not a contrast. They just compromised and put it on what they had. Yep. 
Uh, or and Gene Roddenberry basically insinuating himself so he could get the the co-credit. Yeah, cool. They gave it to DC Fontana to write, who an incredible Star Trek writer, you know, even great Star Trek novels and everything. Yeah. I'm fucking crap on it for a little bit. Oh, man. <laughs> no, I, did you want, or have you read The 50-Year Mission, the two volumes of... No, it's on my list. I have to get it. You, you know, uh, if you like ta- uh, Chaos on the Bridge, I strongly recommend to the listeners as well, and I know I've talked about it in other episodes, completely eye-opening from the original series through... Um, you know, pretty much through the the JJ movies, there's a little hint of what's coming with Discovery, and clearly that uh, clearly is a production in chaos right now. It seems. Yeah, it seems that way. You know, I mean, it, you can't deny it. My God, I mean, it's you know, God, I mean, we're we're for, you know about five months away from what's supposed to be the premiere. Thank God they finally started you know naming some leads and stuff like that. I hope, well, I hope it's still on time. I hope they don't kick it down the road again but then again i want it to be good so if they do it won't surprise me i don't know trek is rarely good in the first season it's like usually like season four it's like great yeah <laughs> so it's not, not not a shocker that it's starting that way you're right um, but and also it's again because well i'm sure in the case of trek because i do know that some streaming shows have survived beyond their first season because it is hard to kind of get it right in the first couple uh, episodes that you write. Um, so the likelihood is that even if it sucks, I imagine they'll still make a second season of Star Trek uh, Discovery. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, it is it is a different television world now where, no, you better get it right. The You know, if you really want it to be good, you better get it right the first time. And uh, Man in the High Castle certainly, I think, has accomplished that. I'm a huge fan of that show. Yeah, I like that. I mean, I was obsessed with that book when I was in high school. It's cool to see it on the screen. And I was obsessed with... I read uh, a Star Trek. I read both, both of Shatner's memoirs. I remember in high school, and so like I couldn't get enough of them. So to go back to that world, yeah, I want. I have to read those books. Yeah, man, they're great. No, and you're right. I, there's a little bit of that in, in or I, plenty of Shatner's point of view of that stuff. But that's the thing, and uh, that was just the films and his te- TV memories and and film memories and stuff. Well, now add on everything that happened in Voyager and Deep Space Nine. You know, like you said, even uh, the uh, suddenly uh, the Klingon war interrupting the Dominion war. And it's like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, believe me, we weren't crazy about it either. But it kind of came above from Paramount going, yeah, we don't know these aliens. How about bringing the Kling- Klingons back? And it's like, all right, well, you're paying for this. If that's what, want, <laughs> that's what we're going to have to do. You know, um, it just weird stuff like that. Yeah, no. And, uh, oh, man, Voyager's a mess and Enterprise is a mess. It's uh, and just this resistance to hire people to write this shit that like Star Trek, that grew up as Star Trek fans. They made fun of Ron Moore being a, being a Star Trek fan. <laughs> and it's like, don't you want people that know this shit to write this shit? Uh, apparently not. Well, and again, I think that explains all the misfires of comic book movies for so many decades before what we've got today where you've actually got people who know this shit that are writing it. I remember when I was a kid, I got a Star Trek magazine, and it had Harlan Ellison telling the true story of City on the Edge of Forever. Cool. I've read the book. Go on. And yeah, the his and book. his yeah. book. And he and he told the whole story. At the very end of the story, he's like, "That's not what actually happened, but what happened, I can't talk about." <laughs> I was like, "What? Wow. Oh, that's and, crazy!" And it sticks in my head, and like it's like a, it's like this mystery. And then flash forward to Comic-Con this year. I'm, I'm having drinks with J.K. Woodward 
uh, who's a brilliant artist. Yes, big fan. Uh, works for IDW and is a huge Trek fan and does all their Trek stuff. And he did the comic book adaptation where they sort of had Harlan's original script. Yes. Which is great if you haven't picked it up. It's great beautiful. Story. Great Star Trek story. Yes, sir. Uh, and uh, and I'm like, J.K., do you remember, like, like 20 years ago, this magazine I read, he told the story about what happened. And then at the very end, he said, that's not what actually happened, but I can't talk about it. And in my head, I'm imagining them, like, just, like, tripped out on the deepest drugs they possibly could and, <laughs> you know, going out to assassinate JFK and then coming back. It's like, what? What was it that they couldn't talk about in this article? And Jake is, and he looks at me and he's like, Harlan told me the truth, but I can't tell you. It's like, no! Wow. Oh, JK! Wow, no. man. Oh, so, I, I assume that I, I assume that finally when, when uh, Harlan wrote his book, that that was the, the real story. But I guess, you're, you know, now that you say that, that was about 20 years ago when he came out with that book. Oh, see, maybe right this... About 15 years ago. White, White Wolf Publishing, I know, had it. But... Um, yeah, he he did. I mean, he he at least in that talked a lot about the politics and everything. Interesting. Um, no, you get a sense of that again from this fifty-year mission book, because Harlan wasn't the only guy who had stories rewritten on them. And I mean, you know, Ted Theodore Sturgeon and everything. I mean, like the cream of the crop of uh, sci-fi writers that wrote for Star Trek in in the original for the original series and everything. Uh, not to mention the good TV writers that they got for Next Generation and beyond. That's, I mean, that's what it means. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm dipping into the Hollywood stuff now, you know, I'm doing scripts and dealing with all these Hollywood people and, and the temptation is the money, right? There's sure. so much money. And, but then like the other side of it is like the vision you have in your head will not be executed. You just know it. Like when you, when you go to them with a pitch and the translation of that into something on screen, it's not going to be what you want it to be. Sure. And that's what makes comic books great is that there's just so few people between the creator and the audience. And th- that's why I love working in the medium. That's why television, I mean, even though it's calling, it's, just not, it's not as tempting for me because I mean, maybe the audience is a, a core, like 1% of the size, but you get a hundred percent more control over your product. Um, so I, I feel for all those TV writers, what must, what the frustration must be. Sure. No, I hear you, man. That's uh, well. Again, this is I, I think uh, the evolving uh, adaptations of TV and film from comics and stuff. I mean, you know, uh, I'm, I'm I wonder. I haven't had the chance to really talk to Kirkman lately. Eight years into uh, Walking Dead, <laughs> to really wonder. I mean, it seems like he's satisfied and defends. Well, that's a special case. Well, and exactly, and defends choices that he makes that that people, you know shriek about that's the other interesting thing man think about that i mean you know the comic book audience is certainly happy to tell you whether they like or dislike what you do man i mean all, all the shit that uh, walking dead took this year do violent it's like well yeah <laughs> it is violent it's a rough world man you know he, he wants to push your buttons he wants to he wants to frustrate you like i i, I killed kyle rayner once i had him strapped to a chair and i had a guy <laughs> yes take a knife and, and and cut his throat and he bled out and i got like three tweets about it and people are like oh you killed him. and it was the most disappointing thing ever because i was like i just did something i thought was horrible violent and reckless to a character and nobody cared yeah yeah, yes. yeah but now the catwoman stuff you're certainly you know apparently yeah but that's 
that's what I'm saying is, 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 is that you have to take that as like, okay, your audience is invested, you know, like when the red wedding happened and people screamed yeah, about it, you know, that's because they believed in it. You know, yes. people didn't, people didn't, when I killed Kyle Rayner, nobody believed in that. Nobody believed in that death. Nobody believed in that character. Nobody believed it mattered. Um, so it didn't hit anyone on that gut level. So you have to take some of that with, with stride and pride, you know, and be like, okay, you, if you're into the story this much, you're having this passionate reaction, then, then the job's getting done. The only uh, the only thing that I find uh, a little disappointing is sometimes the critics, the online critics, that are abandoning shows because of a creative choice. And, well, that's too far, and I'm not going to watch it anymore. And it's like, uh, okay, um, you're a critic, and you know that whatever. I don't think they're coming for Jimmy Soapbox. I think they're coming for you because you've got a you know, hopefully you're going to come to it with a neutral eye. I don't know. I, I just, I, I found that very self-serving from from the critic standpoint and be like, well, uh, guess what? Millions of people aren't making the choice you're making, but good luck to you. And I'm sure they'll find other people to read about the critiques of the show as they continue to watch it, even though you're not going to. Uh, I have every sympathy for a critic because everyone has an opinion on everything. Now they can publish their opinions immediately. Well, but How hard it must be to get your opinions to matter and to be interesting. But that's yeah. the thing. Are you are you a critic or are you a fanboy or fangirl with a blog? That's the, that's the question that you have to answer for yourself. And if you choose to be a fanboy or fangirl with a blog, that's fine. But then I'm not taking you seriously as a critic. How about that? <laughs> I think you're you're a hard man, John Sundrums. You're a hard man. Find some compassion. Yeah, no, no, it's a cold. People got to get through their shit. It's a cold world. Should we lead? Should we end on the cold note like that? I was trying, like, I'm trying to think of any other Amazon Prime things. There's a movie I can't remember what it's called now. I think it's called Out of Print. Yes, and I started watching that. It's about the new Beverly uh, Cinema in uh, L.A. and it's about revival theaters. I'll check. I went to New. I grew up in L.A. and I went. I grew up going to New Beverly. Oh, there you go. You'll love going it. Going to see. Yeah, I saw half of it, and then I fell asleep just because it was late at night. But and my my high school buddy ran it for a while. Brett Berg. Oh wow. Good. Yeah. Cool. I don't know. He might be a movie. Uh, I'm not sure. Maybe I'll check it out. Uh, um, uh, did you see there was an old Hollywood show they premiered on Amazon Prime? And it was terrible. Which one? It was. It was. Um, it was a retelling of the of the, um, the Scott Fitzgeralds, the Last Tycoon. That's what it was. Oh no, I haven't watched that. Uh, is it a full series, a full season, or is it just? I, I they they piloted it out, but I think they picked it up. I don't know. What do I know about anything? But I was like, oh man, not this good. is no, not good. No, it was it was all. It was like the most romantic version of Hollywood you've ever seen. You know, like um, very fake and Tinseltowny, and that's not. Yeah, because I want to see the one about uh, women working at the news magazine and it's based on Nora Ephraim and I forget who else. Yeah. That looks really good. I saw the trailer for that. I haven't been able to. Gail Horms and Gail Norton Holmes, who's my current representative here in DC. Oh, no kidding. Who's in that movie as like a young lawyer, which is cool. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, Yeah. No, I'm really curious about that. I loved, and I keep telling people now to watch it. I just, on the Oh Yeah podcast I do with, Art Balthazar and Franco was talking about it. The the Jean Claude Van Damme pilot episode. Uh, Jean Claude. Really? Jean Claude Van Damme. I think I'll have to check that it's, out. It's like honestly a very good modern day get smart. I mean, Van Damme has reached his Adam West portion of his career, 
and is embracing it fully. And I honestly thought it was really, really funny. And it's it's only twenty minutes long, and I encourage you if you have any if you like JCVD the movie, it's in that vein, only a little more silly, but in a very good way. And I think he pulls it off. I think it was very funny. All right, I'll check it out. I'll <laughs> well, if you're not a fan, but I no no no, I don't have I don't have as much time as I used to, and I, I tend to watch like it's my son's fault. It's the little one's fault because now he wants to eat lunch with me. This is the problem working at home when you've got a two year old. Yeah, there's a uh, little too much violence and nudity for for the kid. There's a little too much violence and nudity, but it's kid. but it's only twenty minutes long. So, because that's my right. dilemma with trying to see stuff sometimes too is I don't have two hours to or two hours plus, and certainly with some of the extended cut movies of like Batman, Superman, Dawn of Justice, and stuff, it's like which I did finally see the full cut months ago. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's like I don't have three hours to invest in a movie. So I, I so I kind of do lean on uh, TV episodes that are like you know forty minutes long or whatever. So well, let me recommend old movies if we're getting to the boring Yay. portion. Of but actually, uh, I, I I just rewatched The Shop Around the Corner, which classic. is the famous yeah it's cla- it's classic as a romantic movie between these um, Jimmy Stewart, and Margaret Sullivan, and you know they it's you the you got mail is a remake of it right yeah yes um, yeah, Tom Hanks um what's your face movie. Yeah, and so it's a Lubitsch film. But what what really hit me this this time in in watching it was like how much of like a war movie or pre Holocaust movie it is. Yes, because it, it it takes place in Hungary and it's like the the romance is maybe twenty percent of the movie. The most of the movie is about like these people trying to survive in this shop, and if they get fired, they're going to go on the street and starve. Yeah, and it, like yeah. the stakes are so high. That, and it's just like it's like a kind of a low run Macy's, and and but the stakes are just so high in that in that form that this this constant fear of what would happen if they got fired that they could never sort of survive out without, and it's like and um and I, I mean there's just such a deeper message there and you think that this is this is Hungary and 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 one of the main characters is a Jew and this is pre war and like this guy's gonna die in five years like these people are gonna betray him I mean, yeah. it's just a, there's there's an amazing undercurrent of the war that's coming and the sort of the insanity that. I, I, I forgot how dark that movie is and it has those undertones to it. You know, it's a, a Christmas movie that I uh, noticed, and I, I mean, I've mentioned this a couple years ago, but I really do love it now. Holiday Affair with Robert Mitchum and um, Janet Lee. And Janet Lee is a war widow. Ooh, it's, late, it's from the late 40s, and she's got like a 12 year old kid. And Mitchum is this uh, guy who was being, he was, he was a salesman at a department store gets fired, so is kind of without work, and um, Wendell Corey plays this very stable guy that is dating uh, Janet Lee and really wants her to get married, and is like, look, you know, I'll give you stability, and, you know, the kid will have a father, and the kid just doesn't like Wendell Corey, you know, that much, and she's, you know, well, you know, he'll learn to love him and everything, and then Robert Mitchum just kind of walks in, and what I love about it is, Mitchum plays his role as if he was in a scene at Out of the Past, walked down a corridor and took a wrong left turn. <laughs> the holiday movie. Because <laughs> noir, tough guy Mitchum in this very light drama with a little bit of comedy in it and stuff. And he's just, you know, hey, uh, Janet, I think you're a swell girl and I think uh, Tom is a great guy, but I think you ought to marry me. 
and it's just <laughs> that kind of delivery to his his character and stuff. And he's got no job and everything, but he's connecting with the kid, and she kind of likes him. And it's this very sweet, weirdly funny, interesting Christmas movie called Holiday Affair. It's like from forty seven or forty nine, and it's I love it because, like I said, it's just like you know what the hell is Robert Mitchum doing in a holiday in a Christmas movie, and it kills. I love it. So go on, give me give me more old movies. Well, our old school go holiday. I, I rewatched. I'm, I'm gonna tell you about like these light movies that I'm rediscovering are horribly dark. Uh, <laughs> Meet me in St. Louis. I rewatched this with my daughter. And it is dark, uh, <laughs> and it is yeah. That is a crazy dark movie. Um, and my my daughter could not get it. My daughter, who's six years old, loves old movies. She watches those classic films. Sure. That's the movie that does um, the clank clank went the trolley. Yes, that's most famous is that for that and. Uh, <laughs> um, and tour of Vincent Minnelli met Judy Garland and yes. that became the whole thing. And, uh, and, um, and it has the, the, the saddest Christmas song ever at, at the end of it. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's this, it's a tale. It's, it, I mean, it's supposed to be, it's a gentle tale, but a family that's very content to live in St. Louis and the dad gets a job in New York and they're sad because they have to leave. And at the end they finally don't have to leave and they're happy. Like, it's like, that's the, that's the story my daughter got out of it. <laughs> But then there's like this other like undercurrent of like <laughs> of 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 like they're th- this this world they're living in is clearly disappearing and it's driving them insane and like their inability to move on from the being stuck in this world uh, um, is a little crazy and uh, and there's like this really dark Halloween scene where they're where they're all dressed up as monsters and they're telling them they hate each other and oh it has a, a very weird undercurrent and there's this isn't. I mean, critics have said this who aren't me, but but the end of the movie could be used as a horrible, unhappy ending where the the, the father's like, "Okay, I'm going to quit my job, and we're going to all stay in St. Louis." But they have no other way to make income. They're just going to rot in this place. <laughs> and she's 16, and she's engaged to this guy who she barely knows, who lives next door. It's, it's like it's like they're heading into the hell of, of the future. They don't even know it. That's awesome. Um, You're killing me. So yeah, I, me in St. Louis, I thought was. <laughs> Uh, very, <laughs> it's shockingly, has a very dark tone to it. dark. Shockingly. I, 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 uh, I watched, I've been rewatched because I read the Hitler, bi- Hitler, well, Hitchcock. That was a uh, biography. So I bought Dial M for Murder was the one that shocked me as being very good. You know, I didn't. that's interesting because I only enjoyed it the one time I saw it in 3D. <laughs> I had no idea it was in 3D until after I watched it. I had, I, I had no idea it was a 3D yep, movie until yep. after I watched it. Uh, you were, you know, I was, I was really into the mystery. I was like, what? Who, how are they going to do? How are they going to get out of this? How are they going to? I was, I was thrilling with it, and it all takes place in one room. But I was, I was obsessed. Wow, I forgot about that. I, uh, it's been a long time since I've seen it because the first time I saw it, it was in the eighties. How you doing, everybody? And uh, I was, you know, a teenager. I was there, and, <laughs> and it was just like, yeah, it's okay. But then um, they did at at a revival house. They showed it in three D. And, I, and suddenly I had a new appreciation for it because, yeah, a lot of what they do, I mean, he used 3D in a very smart way. It's very subtle. And that's why it doesn't surprise me that a lot of people don't know that it's a th- it was originally a 3D movie. Uh, it's not like, you know, uh, Dr. Tongue on SCTV <laughs> leaning into the camera and leaning back or some of those bad Three Stooges ones where you get a flamethrower in the face or a pie in the face and stuff like that. Um, no, it was interesting. I'm a, I love Hitchcock. And I... And, um, I want to watch the episodes of the Alfred Hitchcock Hour that he directed because yeah, me too. Because I'm really interested in that because he really did do that 
as a, kind of an experiment with himself to see how he could handle that kind of short schedule and you know the limitations of television versus film and uh, and i bet i bet that was you know i bet they're pretty amazing just because he's you know a, a terrible person but a great genius i mean you sometimes you got to separate the art from the uh, the person yeah, I mean, he's not, the, he's not, you know, he didn't kill anyone. At least no, he didn't admit to killing anyone. No, but, so. you know, I mean, he did kind of, you know, he, he certainly was kind of creepy with uh, a lot of his leading ladies, in fact. Yeah, he was really bad to his, and he really wanted them to be his puppets, and as soon as they said they weren't his puppets, then he, like, rejected yeah. them and tried to kill them, and tried to kill their career, like, went out, out of his way to kill their yeah, career. Yeah, the tippy, the tippy Hedred thing is really icky and ugly. Um, it seems like... Uh, Oh God! Now I'm blanking. Damn it! Uh, Isabella Rossellini's mother, uh, the great actress who was in Casablanca. Yes. Uh, well, I'm, I'm blanking Jesus too. But yes. Christ. Shame on us. We're, We're too old. old. We're old men. Yeah, That's but, our problem. Oh, and she's. I mean, God. She, uh, oh, come on, John. We or Tom. We can think of this name. I'll look online. <laughs> All right. I'm, we'll do it. All I'm right. I'll look it up because uh, and hopefully, Berg. Thank God, I thought of it before I actually had a. Ingrid Berg. But yeah, Bergman seemed to be able to handle it well. And, and so could Grace Kelly, and they're the only two. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, you're really probably right. And, and, and he and he ended up hating. I'm sorry, I just read his biography, so I know all this shit. But he ended up hating Ingrid Bergman, telling her she was stupid because she had a career outside of him. And so did, and Grace Kelly became a princess outside of him. And right. like, yeah, she left the business. Yeah, to marry uh, marry into uh, royalty and become uh, the, the Grace Kelly, who slept with Bing Crosby. So I, it's all, it's the world is a flat circle. Hey, how's it going? Listen, while we're making high society, why don't we get together and knock, uh, <laughs> knock boots together? I always love doing the, I always say it's like Bing, Bing's running down the stairs. You start off really high and then you get really low. <laughs> um, we, we did our Bing Crosby riff, of course, uh, on, on the last episode when we talked about that American experience, which they re-ran in the last week or so. I own it. Chicago <laughs> television. I was happy to watch I it. have a son named Crosby. That's a man. Atta boy. There, I'm trying to think of other... Man, I didn't know until I read the John Wayne stuff. John Wayne and Marlena Dietrich. Uh, yeah, yeah, I knew, I knew that. I didn't know about that. And it's interesting, the did they or didn't they stuff with him and Maureen O'Hara. Because depending on who you spoke to, it was like, of course they did. And others like, no, of course they didn't. They just really did were great friends, and she got him and understood him and really respected him, but she was a good Catholic girl, and of course she didn't do it. That's probably more right, or not. I kind of think so, just because of the way she was. That was a pleasure. Reggie Hudlin got to direct her uh, stuff when she when she got the special Oscar uh, a year or two ago before she passed away last year, and uh, I talked to him about uh, shooting uh, and getting to interview Maureen O'Hara and how cool that was. Oh, that was that. Yeah, she was in. Oh, four. Like, yeah, McClintock, great uh, John Wayne uh, Maureen O'Hara movie. Very much, except she gets spanked a few too many times. In that movie. Well, that's true, and it is. I mean, it's you know, it's the Western version of Taming of the Shrew. Uh, that's right. Which might be a explanation of why. Yeah, you know, and shame on me because I know a lot of times I'll say, "Oh, that's a great movie," and it's like, yeah, you watch it, and it could be incredibly misogynistic. And I mean, How to Murder Your Wife, the Jack Lemmon uh, movie, where he's the cartoonist. I I think it's a, a crazy movie, and it's very silly. It is so politically incorrect for the times now the way that uh women are treated in the film and depicted it's it's it really is like a movie of its time and it's like all right thank god that time's over (laughs) but uh 
you know, there's there are certain movies like that that I'll I'll be like, oh yeah, that was a fun movie, and I grew up with it, and it's like, yeah, now watching it, I'm kind of embarrassed that I liked it as much as I did. All right, I'm sorry. Oh god, well, I mean, I you I can't believe White Christmas is still shown on TV. It has a blackface dance scene, and yes. they, they don't they don't cut it. I was like, at least from Holiday Inn, they cut the blackface yes. scene. I was like, it's still there. How is this still on television? We cannot. We need to move beyond. This. No kidding. That's very funny because I did watch White Christmas this season and thought the same thing when I got to that part. I watched it on Netflix, so I just fast forwarded through it. I'm like, I don't need this. <laughs> so, uh, but no. Uh, all right. What what other juicy Hollywood? Oh, you know, I bought a book. I don't have the title in front of me, and it's an older book, but it's all about Eddie Mannix and Howard Strickland, who were the two. Fixers, if you're aware of the Coen Brothers movie. Yeah, yeah no, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know those guys. Well, and I'm saying for the, for the listeners, too. Oh, yeah, of course. Are you still here? <laughs> what does this have to do with Batman? Hail Caesar uh, is a movie that's loosely based on Eddie Mannix's real career. And in fact, Josh Brolin's character is called Eddie Mannix and everything. But he was kind of a studio fixer when a, when a star you know, got too drunk and was naked in public or to the point of uh, apparently Clark Gable ran over someone and yeah. there was vehicular manslaughter and everything and they kept it out of the papers and kept him out of jail and stuff. Um, so it's all about their history of working at the studios. And I'm still in the uh, the thirty, the early 30s, so I'm still getting just the silent movie uh, scandals. And my God, you know, you think that Fatty Arbuckle and it's just a handful of stories of silent stars like that oh my god there's dozens of stories of, of various silent stars that were gay and that was kept out of the papers and you know guys that wouldn't go to do the casting couch uh, thing with the studio heads so their careers were ruined and stuff really interesting stuff do you listen to have we talked about this um you must remember this that podcast yeah i do she's been on break for a long time yes yeah, in september well and to her credit those things are so carefully written and produced that I, I do understand why she takes her long breaks. But, man, I had no idea. The the one the episode about Van Johnson, I had no idea. Man, he led a hell of a life. I know. Well, that's everyone, right? You're like, how did these... They were all horribly tortured and horribly... And they were just smiling for the cameras. Have you read City of Nets? So, no. uh, you should check that. That's like the book about Hollywood in the 40s by Otto Friedrich. It's from... It's from like the 80s and 70s, but it's like almost like a literary book about, and it's like all gossip about the Hollywood 40s stuff. Oh, no. It's I highly recommend it. What? This is what I do. I constantly read books about it. This is how I calm down. You know, I used to be, I would calm down at the end of the day by reading a comic book, but now like comic books are work. So now I read about old Hollywood. It's a weird sort of dynamic that's flipped in my life in the last few years. No, it's fascinating. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I, I pulled it up on Amazon and I will order it. All right. Sweet. I've influenced John Centris. My life is complete. Oh, I was, dude, I, you're, you're a Hollywood guy. Hey, if we, you know, I mean, the, the sad thing is when we see each other in conventions, you know, you're running off to a meeting or a dinner. I'm doing the same sometimes as well. And we don't have ch a chance to hang out. Should I come to D.C. or should you come to Chicago? We got to play uh, Trivial Pursuit Silver Screen, man. Dude, for fucking sure. I would love to Absolutely. do it. Yeah, of course. Well, congratulations. We'll wrap it up here and say... Nice going on an excellent 2016. I'm really sorry about uh, your grandmother, but professionally, <laughs> really, man, that's 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 a terrible thing, and I and I can appreciate that. But honestly, I, um, you know, a vision and sheriff of Babylon, 
could be their own thing because you were given the opportunity to really, you know, write under the radar, much like Omega Men, and tell your story and stuff. And and also the success on Batman. I don't think it's easy following a big act. Uh, it's one of the reasons why Brad Meltzer was one of the few guys to say, yeah, I'll come on Green Arrow right after. There you go, Tom King. Uh, looking forward to what he's got coming up in 2017, including those announcements that'll be coming uh, later in the year for some sort of August release. One can only imagine what's in the future of Tom King. Uh, we certainly do like the present, and uh, looking forward to the next issue of Batman uh, coming up very soon. And uh, we'll have Tom back in 2017. You can count on it. Thanks for listening today to Word Balloon. It's brought to you by GeekFuel.com, a great subscription box service that ships out a mystery box each month that has at least $50 worth of value for just $15 plus shipping and handling. We're talking about an exclusive T-shirt, a full downloadable game, five to seven other great geek culture items. Right now, at the end of the year, you can save an additional $3 off of any subscription uh, rate. So that means uh, you'll get your Geek Fuel stuff for as little as $13.90. Take advantage of it now and receive an additional gift if you uh, go through Geek Fuel through Word Balloon. And by doing that, you go to geekfuel.com slash word balloon. That's geekfuel.com slash word balloon. Thanks again for listening. Uh, Happy New Year. Uh, thank you very much again for a great 2016. Really looking forward to 2017. That'll be Word Balloon's 12th year in podcasting coming up in May. Hard to believe, but here we are, and uh, we're not stopping anytime soon. And because of your support, League of Word Balloon listeners, uh, it's all possible. So truly, thank you. Until next time, have a safe and happy new year. Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2016.